Ladies and gentlemen, recorded in Fredericton, New Brunswick, Canada. It's time for Fight Night Picks with your host, Frank and Matt Allen. With Holly Holm unable to compete this weekend in the main event, we have Aspen Ladd now taking on Norma Dumont. And ooh boy, what a fight it is. 11 fights set, and I can't wait for it. As always, one half, your host, Neil Craig Allen. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at CraigAllenFNP. With me to my left, to your right, as always, Matt Allen FNP on the respective socials. Now, Matt, I think that this main event is... Is it, it's got to upset the fans. It's got to upset some fighters too, because for Ladd, she weighed in at 137.5. She had plenty of excuses that some people sided with and some people didn't. And Norma Dumont's no better. She's done it before at Bantamweight, 139.5 against Jessica Rose Clark, and then, or Ashley Evan Smith rather. And then when she was supposed to take on Aaron Blanchfield, she weighed in at 139.5, and they scratched that fight. Since then, she's won one at Featherweight, beating the former title challenger in Felicia Spencer. So, Somebody needed a dance partner. Lad ended up accepting. And if you're Macy Chasson, you got to be somewhere scratching your head and going, man, I don't know why I'm even doing this anymore because they just, it merits, you know, not being professional. At the end of the day, it's unfortunate that Lad could make it, but it just sucks. And it really casts a bad cloud over this card, which otherwise is pretty good. And there's lots of fights that we're looking forward to, right? I think this is an underrated card. And these are always the cards that more than exceed your expectations. Because, yes, Norma Dumont and Aspen Lab might not be the best main event of all time. Oh, but one of the worst. There's some great fights, like you had mentioned. Carlos Felipe has a massive opportunity in the co-main event against Andre Orlovsky. We've seen Orlovsky in fights like this before. In that gatekeeper type of a role. So I think that's a phenomenal fight. Anytime Jim Miller's on a fight card, you know I'm excited for it. So I do think that there's some few uh, hidden gems all throughout this card. Over on Fight Matrix... Bellator 268 this weekend has a 3 out of 5 star rating. That's Nemkov defending his title in the light heavyweight Grand Prix against Julius Anglicus. AMC Fight Nights, Meniv versus Ismailov, number 2. That card has 3 title fights, 1.5 stars out of 5. This weekend's UFC card, 2 out of 5 stars, which has been the same star rating they've had for the past 2 Fight Night cards. They gotta pump fights out there. This is what you get when you have that big of a roster. But Matt, there are fights that we're looking forward to. So let's throw it on over to our Manscaped Fight of the Night screen. We picked two of them. You agree, you disagree, let us know down below in the comments section. But what you will agree with is you're gonna be happy if you check out our sponsor, Manscaped. At manscaped.com, use promo code FNP. You're gonna get 20% off your order and free shipping. Let's throw it on over to the Fight of the Night screen. And when we're talking about a possible fight of the night, how about the return of Brandon Davis? A guy who went 2-5 and five in his original UFC run, but against very good levels of competition. A fight of the night waiting to happen. And he's taking on Mongolia's Bakari Dana. Man, this guy bangs. Guess who's back? Back again? Brandon's back? Tell your friend. Brandon Davis is back, and he does have that fight of the night stench on him. You know, like, when you see Brandon Davis walk by, he's kind of like, who was that guy in Charlie Brown who was dancing and there was always that dirt? Pigpen. Pigpen. He's like Pigpen, but for fight of the nights. Where he goes, bonuses follow. You always got to get excited for Brandon Davis' fight because he matches a great pace along with good volume, good power. He just has that exciting kind of a style. And with Dana Bakari, 
He's also, he can go in there, knock you out. He's got great striking. Can strike moving forward, can strike moving backwards. I really have high hopes for this fight. Absolutely love this fight. And when we move on over to our second selection, El Dierte Sanchez taking on Blindado Bruno Silva. I mean, for Bruno, former M1 Global champ, he got into some of the special stuff. He had a two-year USADA suspension. We'll talk about it in the Fight Night Picks Rookie Review. But suffice to say that this fight should absolutely deliver because for the former Ultimate Fighter champion, I mean, he's putting guys' lights out. He's getting his lights put out. I mean, this should be a very exciting fight for as long as it lasts. I never thought I'd put Andrew Sanchez into this category, but he's in that, like, anywhere, any day, any time. Like, few people would go from fighting Mahmoud Muradov to Bruno Silva back-to-back. The UFC did this man no favors, but he was still willing to accept. So I think this should be a phenomenal fight. If you were lucky or fortunate enough to tune in for Silva's UFC debut, you know how dangerous of a striker that he is. And with El Jirte, he's always adding new things to his game. So I think this will be a great fight. Bruno Silva getting a big win over Wellington Terman in his UFC debut. Andrew Sanchez getting a performance tonight bonus with a win over Wellington Terman. And one bonus that you should definitely check out, Manscaped. Check him out, manscaped.com. Use promo code FMP. You're going to get 20% off your order and free shipping couple of neat gifts in there as well and i'm going to be talking about my balls and my nose hair later on the show you're not going to want to miss it big time fights ahead and while it might not be one of those cards that lights up the radar gun in terms of star potential there are a lot of really interesting fights on this card that i'm looking forward to we talked about some of them earlier but ludovic klein take on nate landwehr that's a banger you've got arlovsky felipe you've got Manofioro. The human highlight reel taking on Maeda Buena Silva. So much to look forward to. And Matt, we have a lot going on with Fight Night Picks. If you're able to help us out to our goal of 30,000 subscribers, we're going to reward you with those Dana White's Contender Series breakdowns. You can also find us on our second channel, 15-Minute Card Breaks. You fan of baseball? You like Randy Arozarena? We've got all sorts of great stuff going on over there. And a new video set to drop this week where we're opening some Topps Gold Label. What are we going to get? Well, I do know, but you don't. So make sure you check that one out as well. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram, at CraigAllenFMP, at MattAllenFMP. I'm looking forward to these fights as I am every single week. So Matt, keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. As we always say, let's get into it. Big time fight coming up on the prelims of our card. And this is tentatively set to open the night. We have a big time fight, as I said. Between Ariane Carnalosi and Estela Nunes, and I can't wait for it because for Carnalosi, I was kind of sold a bill of goods when she came into the UFC. It's almost like when you get coffee in a drive-thru. You get a double-double, you pull up to the window, and you're thinking, man, I know it's not going to be a double-double, but hopefully they do a pretty good job. And if it's not too early in the morning or if it's not too late... You might end up with one, but what I got out of Carnalosi in her debut was something like four milk, one sugar. It was exciting. It was a lot of fun. It's something I'm not used to, but at the end of the day, I wasn't overly impressed. With Carnalosi, she kind of just didn't really cut off the cage. She followed Hill. It was a fun fight while it lasted, and ultimately at the end, Hill with her great Muay Thai on the break lands an elbow that cuts Carnalosi, similar to the disgusting injury that we had of Damon Jackson last weekend against Charles Rosa in the fact that they actually ended up finishing or ending that fight due to a doctor's stoppage for Carnalosi against Hill. She goes out there a second time after a long layoff due to a slip disc in her back. And what happens, Matt, against Leung Na? All hell breaks loose. It's one of the craziest fights ever. I'm surprised that it didn't get a bonus. Maybe there was some money behind closed doors because that one opened up a big-time pay-per-view, the return of fans, UFC 261. It was so much fun. 
And for Carnalosi, she just goes balls to the wall from the opening minute to the end of the fight. She ends up getting the finish in that one, which was super impressive, adds to her finish total. And now coming into this fight, that's where it really makes things interesting because for Estela Nunes, this is somebody that a lot of UFC fans might not be familiar with. But if you're a fan of maybe Southeast Asian MMA or one championship fan, you might know her from her title bid against one of the Flying Lee clan, I guess you should say. I mean, Victoria Lee, she's making moves and starting grooves. She's a teenager making it in MMA. Christian Lee, champion. Angela Lee, champion. And it just so happened that when Estela Nunes took on Angela Lee, it was not her night, and she got caught in an anaconda choke and lost that one. But if you like watching Estela Nunes, you can kind of liken her a little bit to an Angela Hill style where her last time out against Gina Inyong, it was just, okay, Gina at the start, really starting to mount, or mount a lot of pressure, and then Nunes just starts to pump that jab out there. She starts to work behind it. Then she's working her Muay Thai. This is somebody in Nunes that went 50-4 and four as a pro Muay Thai fighter, which is incredibly important. Two-time world champion in Muay Thai. And that lone loss in MMA against a very well-accredited and well-liked superstar, I would say, in Angela Lee. Now, I sound a little bit like Chaudhry going that you far do, with you it. Gotta settle down she is it. a very good fighter, but I absolutely love this fight. I do think it's going to be fireworks. And the reason why you haven't seen Estela Nunes in the headlines or in the UFC sooner, coming off a two-year USADA suspension, that one due to Stenozolol. She was eligible to be reinstated July 22nd, 2021, where she was booked in a fight at the end of July against Jin Yu Fry. That one fell out. Nunez withdrew. Now she gets Carnalosi. I think we're going to get fireworks this weekend. I think this could be a phenomenal fight, but I got to pump the brakes on one thing. We got to start comparing Nunez to Angela Hill. Angela Hill has fought some of the best fighters in this division and in this weight class for years now, for over half a decade. And I really do think that that experience pays off a lot because this thing, Carnalosi made her UFC debut against Angela Hill. Angela Hill was a ranked fighter at the time and is a ranked fighter right now. So I think Nunez is getting a much easier debut uh, this time around than Carnalosi, than Carnalosi was afforded in her debut. Because listen, Angela Hill was, she's been in main events before. She's fought title challengers. She's fought champions. Like Angela Hill really is one of those top fighters in this weight class. And with Nunez, it's just different. And with Nunez, I think a lot of her strengths are the same strengths as, as Angela Hill. I just think defensively, she might not have a lot of those same attributes that Angela Hill does. And with Hill, I think she might be able to pick her opponent apart a little bit more at range. With Nunez, she almost relies on the forward pressure of her opponent to sort of meet her halfway with her strikes. And this is the thing about Nunez. It's so hard to gauge her punching power and her finishing ability. Because if you just look at her record for face value, she has a couple TKO wins on there. They look nice. But if you look at her win against her, not her win, but if you look at her fight against Lee... I have concerns about her power just as a whole because she is able to land a lot of clean shots. And yeah, that's great. Landing clean shots in a fight is always a good thing. But when you land consistent overhand rights over and over and over again, normally we see fighters go down if you're able to land that technique over and over again. But with Nunez, it feels like it's a lot of, okay, I get from point A to point B and they just kind of stop with my power and reset. That's why I really worry about how Nunez is going to keep Carnalosi's forward pressure off of her throughout this fight. To me, I'm kind of surprised that you take it that way because when I did write it in my notes, I put and I put a star next to it. Matt's favorite attribute, Nunez is a speed demon. And when she's in her fight, she really strings her strikes together very, very quickly. It's an advantage she has over most every opponent she's faced. And Lee brought together that grappling. That's something that, you know, definitely wasn't Nunez's strong suit. So we'll see what happens in this fight because we've seen it from Carnalosi. 
She goes from point A to point B very quickly, and she might eat a lot of shots on the way in. Hill was able to out-volume her. Carnalosi had some success in that fight. It was really just kind of fought in a phone booth, and ultimately it was, again, that elbow that really ended the thing. But I, I really do think that matching or matchmaking-wise, this is a decent opportunity for Nunes to walk in. We get to see exactly where she's at. We kind of know where Carnalosi's at. Is she to that top 15 level? Not yet. And the other thing, she had that slip disc going into, or sorry, coming out of the loss that she had to Hill. She also had another slip disc after the Na Leung fight, or Leung Na, and now we're here. And that wasn't that long ago. That kind of does worry me a little bit in this one. Yeah, I've never not seen somebody for a year and been like, hey, what's new? And their first answer be, well, a disc slipped out of my back twice. Wait, at the same time? No, 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 no. Slipped out. Everything was cool. Slipped out again. So I do have concerns over her overall back health. But this is what I mean when I talk about uh, Carnalosi and her striking ability on the feet. I don't think the speed of Nunes is going to matter that much because the distance is going to be crowded. It's hard to get strikes off when someone's head is in your chest. And Carnalosi can have that ability just because physically her stature is built towards that. She can strike in a phone booth because she is short. She does have powerful shots. She can go to the head and to the body at a very close range that most fighters just can't get enough separation to really land shots at. So for all those reasons, I do think Carnalosi is going to be the more active fighter. And I do think that if she can be dedicated to any sort of body attack throughout this fight should be the fresher fighter as this fight continues we've seen that in her fights too just going balls to the wall to the body in terms of the odds for this one carnalosi did open as the favorite at about a minus 175 she's minus 172 on best fight odds for nunez she opened at a plus 150 plus 142 we're splitting hairs the over under in terms of the votes over on topology if i said 75 percent carnalosi what would you go with I would say they're above. A lot of people liked her last fight. All right, Matt. The total votes, 753 total votes, 86% Carnalosi, 70% by decision. For the 14% that have Nunez, 80% by decision. If Carnalosi's back is good, and if she's able to keep up a pace throughout the fight, I think Carnalosi can get the win. But she is one of the more heavily muscled fighters you're going to find in all of MMA. You can liken her to... A prime Yoel Romero. Not 2021 Yoel Romero, but a prime Yoel Romero. A prime, who else? Hector Lombard. Who else can we go with? She spent the time in the gym. That's all that really matters at the end of the day. Like with Carnalosi, she's one of the few fighters where physicality really is a strength of hers and something that she uses in her fights. She's not just someone who's strong and that means, oh, I'm a knockout puncher. No, she can use her strength in the clinch. Uh, really just in all facets of MMA and that's why I like her in this fight. I like Carnalosi in this one as well. Again, for Nunes, the speed is there. She can win a decision. We've seen that five times out of seven. So there are definitely opportunities out there. If you like Nunes, let us know down below in the comments section. I like Carnalosi to go out there, push a pace, make things dirty and grimy, and be able to pull out the win there. So Brazilian's going to win in this fight. Just depends on which one. I'm going Ariane Carnalosi. Matt, you're in agreement. We got a big time slate of fights coming up. Headline by Aspen Ladd and Norma Dumont. You're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. Absolute banger. Coming up this weekend at 135 pounds, we have Mongolia's back at Adana taking on the cat came back the very next day. We have a returning Brandon Davis, a guy who's now on a four-fight win streak and who doesn't know how to have a boring fight. And I can't wait for this one because when you talk about styles making fights, you look at it when Dana Bakari made his UFC debut. He took on Alatang Hei Lee. 
I see that type of fun and fireworks in this matchup against Brandon Davis, who in some bizarro world could be challenging for a title at 135 or 145. You look at his record, it's 2-5 and five in the UFC, and then you consider the last two fights that he had on his way out, both split decision losses, and it's insane that the very last one was to Giga Chikadze, and you know how good that guy is, so it just goes to show you, Davis didn't have anything but premier marquee fights. I was there live in attendance for his UFC debut against Kyle Bokniak, that was a fun one, UFC 220, but I write it down, I mean, yeah, did he get Sulev stretched by Zabit Magomed Sharipov? Yeah, a little part of me feels like that would feel amazing until it doesn't. Yeah, you never know. I mean, ask, uh, you know, Aljamain Sterling did it on the same yeah. night, kind of stole the thunder. But I, I absolutely love both these guys' games. You've got Bakarei that trains out of Jackson Wink MMA. You've got Brandon Davis that's worked the boxing with a couple of different guys, working at ATT D'Iberville with guys like Jason Knight. So there's all sorts of fun I know you're really looking forward to this fight. What exactly are you looking forward to? So if this fight was a Venn diagram, there'd be a lot in the middle. You know, like they, these guys have a lot of crossover with their skills. And that's why I think it's going to be such a fun fight. Because if you just want sort of the surface value knowledge of it, it's okay. We have one striker with great cardio, great forward pressure against another striker with great power, can strike moving backwards and forwards. But then when you dive even just a little bit deeper into it, yes, they're both strikers, but the way they implement their strikes are very different. Brandon Davis does like to use, it's forward pressure, but it's intelligent forward pressure. He's not somebody like, I guess, a former opponent of his, Kyle Bokniak, who will almost just recklessly rush forward to where, yes, it pays off and it will result in some crazy fights and he'll land some big shots, but he'll also eat some, res uh, uh, he'll also eat some big shots as a result of it. Brandon Davis is a little bit more measured with his approach, but he still has that fun style to where he is all over his opponent at all times. And it's going to be really interesting to see how he approaches this fight, because if he does implement that kind of a game plan against Denab Bakari, I could see him eating a lot of heavy shots on the way in. I could see him eating a lot of leg kicks and just a lot of power shots throughout this fight. But if we see a Brandon Davis who mixes in his wrestling, oddly enough, if we do see a Brandon Davis who makes this not only an MMA fight, but does use his dirty boxing a little bit, I think this could be a great win for Brandon Davis and a great return. This is the last thing I'll say before I hand it back off to you. This is a great return fight for Brandon Davis. Like, the UFC did a great job matchmaking this because it feels like Brandon Davis making his UFC return. The UFC would be like, hey, do you want to fight the Korean zombie on, like, two days' notice? You know what I mean? Like, it would And be he'd one say of, yes. And he would say yes, exactly. But it would be one of those fights where it's like, uh, I like Brandon Davis here, but there's just a lot of cards stacked against him. This is one of those evenly matched fights where both guys have a lot of claim to win. I mean, for Davis, he beat the guys you want to see him beating. Ray Trujillo is one of those names in that four-fight win streak. You know, guys that you've seen before. And then there's a couple of guys that you probably never heard of before. But he beat them in ways that you'd like to see. And for Bakari, you look at it, he had a fight of the night and a loss to Alatang Hei Lee in his debut. Then he knocks out Guido Canetti quickly. Oh. Then he knocked out Kevin Natividad quickly. Then they matched him up against Montel Jackson, and that was about a month ago. It fell out due to visa issues. So I'm interested to see what we get out of him because we know exactly how crisp of a striker. His hooks almost have like heat-seeking missiles for your face, and that's absolutely insane to watch. So... I am really interested to see what kind of a fight we do get. Does Brandon Davis take a measured approach? Does he go cardio king like we've seen in the past? Because that was the talking point before he fought Giga Chikadze. And he came on late in that fight. But it was training for this fight. Every day he ran a marathon. And he was a slow starter in that one. And it was a slow build. I don't know what you do against a guy like Bakari Dana. Maybe that is the approach you actually do need to take. But I like those intangibles that Davis has. 
So what are you thinking here? So I guess my question for you is, do you think Bakary's recent string of early knockouts are kind of like Tanner Bowser's streak that he went on where it was like, okay, traditionally you're not one of these early round punchers and then he just sort of went on a streak or do you think Bakary can sort of play it both ways? If the it's, opportunity presents itself, he could get the quick knockout or he can play sort of the long game to, as well. To me, it's that way. I mean, Guido Canetti, really old in his career, right. like a guy that kind of leaves himself out there. He likes to bang, bro. And Kevin Atividad, same thing. He can wrestle... But it, the trouble for Kevin is he just comes in on a center line, throws defense out the window, and got knocked out in that one. So, not to diminish anything from him, but I really do. I like Dana Bakary's total game. Same thing can be said for Brandon Davis. And it sounds a little sketchy, a guy that left the UFC at 10-8, and 8, went 2-5 and 5 in the promotion. But he is a fun fighter to watch. And he has a game plan that, listen, more times than not, it works. I agree 100%. I think this fight's going to be phenomenal. But I think I think Dana Bakary is going to win this fight. I do think that if he could just meet uh, Brandon Davis's forward pressure with some strength, similar to what we saw Prime Darren Till do. Prime Darren Till wasn't a guy who would go out there and get the fight from you. He would wait. He would faint. He would dance around on the outside. But once you did decide and commit to move forward, he would meet you with an elbow. He'd meet you with a straight shot. He would punish you for that forward pressure. And I think if Denab Bakary can have a similar game plan, which he has shown in the past, it'll pay off a lot against Brandon Davis, who does like to use a lot of forward pressure. And I think that was the key. And that's what you had brought up. Kevin A. Tibidad likes to go in on a straight line. And Brandon Davis does have a very similar way of his entries. He's not somebody who uses his footwork to set up his punches, whereas he just uses a heavy level of volume to set up his punches and i think that's gonna end up getting him caught davis in this one open a plus 250 underdog biggest mover and shaker so far this week he's a plus 159 on best fight odds for back at Dana. open a minus 300 he's a minus 193 right now over on topology the total votes for this one 703 74 percent with the mongolian with 60 percent having to win by knockout for the 26 percent that i have davis 71 percent by decision I like you, small minority in this fight. I really do think Brandon Davis is going to be able to win out. He's got length. He's got reach in his back pocket. Something that Bakary's latest opponents haven't had in their fights. And I do like his durability. I also like the fact that he can last in his fight. So for me, I like the activity out of Brandon Davis in this one. I think that's what's going to win out for him in this fight. And if he fights a similar fight to an Alateng Haley, which is easier said than done, seeing as this one's on relatively short notice but i do like him in this one for those reasons i think this fight's gonna be phenomenal but i do still have to back again i think if he can again land those damaging shots early and just start mounting that damage up in the first and second round because that's the thing about brandon davis it's hard to get him out of there just with a single shot you really do have to mix in your volume along with the power shots to really just sort of mount enough offense on the feet to hurt him but i do like back in this fight split on the pick matt's got the mongolian back i'm going with a returning Brandon Davis, you let us know down below in the comments section who you have in this fight and stick around for the rest of the videos. I mean, Julia Marquez is taking on one really tricky out kind of sometimes and that's going to be fun and Jordan Wright, big time ones on this card that you're not going to want to miss. Keep locked in with Fight Name Picks and as we always say, let's, let's get, get into it. Like absolute banger coming up this weekend at 145 pounds. We have Slovakia's Ludwig Klein taking on the train, Nate Landwehr, and I don't know who has a better nickname, the highlight, the train. I personally like Mr. Highlight, but when I look at these guys' fighting styles, they do live true to their nicknames. Because for Nate Landwehr, former M1 Global champ at 145 pounds. And listen, when you're an American fighting for a Russian promotion like that, that sometimes holds events in the mountains, in open air, you're probably not meant to win. And you go back and watch some of his fights, and I saw the referees give... 
a little bit more time to the Russian fighters to kind of fight back, and it just didn't happen. The old Fedor Emelianenko, Fabio Maldonado. Landwehr comes to the UFC, full head of steam, takes on Herbert Burns, gets knocked out. And Landwehr was a guy that was always known for his wild fighting style and his durability. He got his chin checked in that one, no big deal. Goes out there, fights Darren Elkins. Matt, Darren Elkins is a takedown machine. How many takedowns did he get in that fight? Uh, only one. Oh, come on. Inside baseball, we filmed a lot of these videos once. The audio didn't pan out. Matt acted really surprised and didn't know that Darren Elkins went one for 13. I thought he got his... more, to be honest. Yeah, he went one for 13 out of his takedown attempts against Elkins, or sorry, against Landwehr. They had a crazy fight. Landwehr wins the decision. So then he goes out there and he fights Julian Arosa. And to me, it was like, okay, well, this one's in the bag. Landwehr wins this one. What happened that fight, man? Juicy J rides again. I like. I don't know. He needs a t-shirt or something. Like Julian Arosa, just when you think you should count him out, he can fly near you. He can beat Charles Jordan by submission. Like he can pull a rabbit out of the hat, and that's what he did against Nate Landwehr. It's like he almost has this key to the vault that is the coal mine against an old-time steam engine. He just goes, you know what? We're locking that one up. We're stopping that hype train, and see you later. But Weird comparison. When I look at this one, Matt, for Ludwig Klein, a guy coming into the OC that I was so excited about because he has that great head kick. He has that great right hook. He has so many different things when it comes to striking that are very valuable for a top prospect and a guy that had so much experience and that was the big key i looked at ludwig klein a guy representing slovakia like i did with czech republics or czechia if you want to call it that and i know a lot of people are fired up about that but go google that one on wikipedia it's czechia now not chechnya czechia you want to have fun we're learning here but when I look at it for Ludwig Klein, like guys that have come before him, like the Peter Bondras and the Miroslav Shatans, this guy is a dynamo. And he has a lot of fun coming into the cage. He is a great striker that's added to it a little bit of wrestling, which was kind of to his demise a little bit in his last fight against Mike Trezano. And I'm going to talk about some of those decisions and some of the numbers in that one. But overall, I think what left a lasting impact on the judges was... Trezano's classic Tiger Shulman forward movement. I really do think that was the, the, the big key there because Klein went 4 of 7 in his takedown attempts and he did strike quite well in that and he still lost the fight somehow. Out of 10 Mike Trezano's, how many Nate Landwehrs is he? Like, they have a similar style. Both guys move forward. Both guys can mix in their striking with their offensive wrestling. Now, I do think Mike Trezano is a superior fighter to Nate Landwehr, or at least the guy in the UFC has shown to be superior because I do think there's a version of Nate Landwehr out there who can push a great pace, can mix in his wrestling with his strikes, and can just be enough of an MMA fighter to outgrind a lot of guys in this weight class. It's just the fighter who we've seen lately has almost bought too much into his own gimmick. Yes, being aggressive is great. Yes, that forward pressure is great, but at a certain point, the negatives that come along with it far outweigh the pros, and we have seen that in his two UFC losses. You had mentioned it. He was a very durable fighter before he came to the UFC, and the few significant strikes that have landed clean on him have put him down. So, with Nate Landwehr, I don't know if we're dealing with a Justin Gaethje who had a lot of crazy fights before the UFC, but still had a lot of tread left on the tires, or still has a lot of tread left on the tires now. Or is he like a Thomas Almeida, who we knew you for being that crazy fighter before you came into the UFC, but those crazy fights come with a cost, and you can't just get into those wild wars in the regional scene and expect to still be that same durable fighter by the time you make it up to the big leagues, because Nate Landwehr is one of these fighters where he had a flaw, 
And now everybody's starting to make it known to where his forward pressure can just be met by shots at the middle. And if you land a clean one, you can put him to sleep. Well, I'm interested to see too for Land where he's a guy that's trained out of some smaller gyms in the past, but he's been at MMA Masters down in the Miami area here quite a bit recently. So you do like to see that, especially a good quality of training partner. I think a Danny Chavez that trains there would be a good guy to get ready for against a guy like Klein coming out of that southpaw stance. And he's been training at Sanford MMA. Now, you look at his debut, and it was such a great fight for him. He finishes Shane Young. Then he comes out of Sanford MMA in a second UFC fight, and he has a different approach. He has those takedown attempts against Trezano. I told you I'd give you the numbers, so I will. There was two 29-28 Trezano over on MMA decisions out of the media members. There were 11 that had it 29-28 for Ludovic Klein. And then you look at the way the judges scored the fight. Adelaide Bird gave round one to Klein, the next two to Trezano. Derek Cleary gave round two to Klein. And Junichiro Camillo gave every single round to Mike Trezano, which surprised me. I had a 29-28 Klein. Regardless, he has that loss on his I, record. I will say this, though. I had Klein to win that fight. I thought it was a pretty disappointing performance by Ludwig Klein based on what his UFC debut was. Because for Klein, this is what he did. It's almost like, and again, you hate to say it's almost like, it's almost like, but it's almost like he just listens to commentary of just Daniel Cormier when watching fights that end of round takedowns can seal a win for you because that's what he did in that fight. So a little bit surprising that he kind of went away from that kickboxing style with that great counter striking and implemented more wrestling, something that I could see kind of being at a disadvantage or a demise to him in a fight against Nate Landwehr, a guy that can just grind and defend a lot of takedowns. So I look at the odds for this one. Klein opened a minus 220 favorite. He's a minus 301 right now. For Landwehr, he opened a plus 185. He's a plus 235. Over on Topology, the vote status is Surprise there to you. 770 total votes, 89% Klein, 73% by knockout for the 11% that have land where you few. 52% by decision, Matt. I see Ludovic Klein going out there knocking out Nate Landwehr. Wow, this is the thing I will say. If Ludwig Klein decides, hey, I'm a wrestler now, and if he shoots a lot of offensive takedowns on Nate Landwehr, he's getting a first-class ticket to tire town because that's the only way Nate Landwehr can win this fight. It's if he is sound enough defensively to tire Ludwig Klein. And I mean that with the striking and with the wrestling because I do think Nate Landwehr is a good enough offensive wrestler to where could he take down Ludwig Klein? Maybe. I, I, I don't think he will, but I think he has that possibility. I just don't know what Nate Landwehr can do consistently at any point throughout this fight to win moments and win minutes because I, I might be a little bit more hesitant on Klein's going to win by finish. I do think this fight's going to go a little bit later than Klein's or sorry, then Landwehr's two previous losses, but I do still like Ludwig Klein in this fight. If Nate Landwehr is going to win, he's got to be like the Canadian band from the 80s, Red Rider, headed by Tom Cochran, throw us a little bit of lunatic fringe. But for me, Matt, I've got the guy who, again, I made the David Dvorak comparison because I love the pro experience outside of the UFC. Tons of pro fights against good levels of competition that Ludwig Klein was able to get. And for those reasons... I like Klein in this one. Yeah. The counter-striking, especially when Landwehr crashes in, it's that right hook, it's that high kick from either stance too, and I really do think he's got a great opportunity here. So my question for you, because I think this is important. Now, you watch a lot more football than I do, but I've been trying to get more into the NFL this season, and what they say with a lot of rookie quarterbacks is that just getting like the time and the experience is really important. Like In-game looks is important. Do you think the fact that Klein fought somebody in Mike Trezano, who is very similar stylistically 
to Nate Landwehr, almost prepped him for this fight. I know it was a loss, but it was a close fight. And the fact that Nate Landwehr is probably going to move forward a lot, probably going to use his striking into the clinch. Do you think that is going to pay off a lot in this fight? You learned a lot on the regional scene, being a pro, getting big wins. You learn a little bit when you knock out Shane Young that you're a very exciting, fun fighter. You get on people's radars. And I've seen people commenting about this fight on Instagram, on the YouTube community tab, everywhere. They've been saying, Klein and Landwehr, that's the fight that I want. You learn a lot even in a loss to Mike Trezano, which I and a lot of people thought that you won. So I'm absolutely fine with that one. I do like Klein in this one. I think we're both in agreement on the pick. Yeah, 100%. Both of us going with Slovakia's own Ludwig Klein. Get the win this weekend. Tons of exciting fights. Marcus taking on Jordan Wright. We got a big time fight between Bruno Silva and Algierte Sanchez. And in the main event, Aspen Lad, Norma Dumont. The fight you got. Maybe not the one you want. Keep locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. Big time clash of styles coming up this weekend. We have what could have been, should have been, maybe will never be the champion at 125 in Sajara Eubanks taking on Dread Luana Carolina, somebody that had to cut off her dreads to unsuccessfully make the weight her last time out. And she picked up a big time win, or was it? against Pollyanna Battaglio. And that's where I'm going to stop speaking in riddles because I will speak in facts and in numbers. And it's not something that I do every time out with Fight Night Picks. But sometimes when you've taped all your videos over to break the fourth wall and you have to go back through them, you pull, out a, set the second you, time you pull out a classic record by Lionel Richie called Can't Slow Down. And I'm not going to slow down through this video. And I don't think Sajara Eubanks should either in this fight. But Matt, the numbers that I said that I would mention. Luana Carolina last time out took on Pollyanna Battaglio. It was a classic Brazil versus Brazil type of fight that we don't get all that often. But when we do, it's usually quite a lot of fun. And in that fight, the first round, Battaglio... last week's main event, the week before that, the first fight on this card. The, the, the point I'm trying to make here, the bigger point is, it's usually a lot of fun. And Pollyanna Battaglio outlanded Luana Carolina... 36 to 2 in total strikes. She took her down and held her for 2 minutes and 26 seconds. I scored that round a 10-8. Second round. Pollyanna didn't have the cardio and couldn't get the takedowns. Round 2, Carolina. Round 3, Carolina. I had it 28-28. The judges scored it. Well, a majority win for Carolina. Some of them thought that first round wasn't a 10-8. They had it a 10-9. Whatever. It is what it is. Carolina comes into this fight. An interesting fighter because she's a two-time state champ in Muay Thai. She's a two-time national champ in Muay Thai. And they'll throw those ones out there. She also had that crazy uh, Mike Tyson type back injury where she broke her back. Her back was broken. Spinal. Spinal. So now she comes into this fight, Matt, as a bit of a question mark. Because you can beat a grappler and an all-around fighter in Botelho. You lose to Ariane Lipsky by one of the most disgusting knee bars I've ever seen. And listen, Lipsky, her face in that, she wanted blood. She and she beat Priscilla Cachueta, you know, zombie girl, and Maybelli Lima over on Contender Series. Now you get Sajara Eubanks. And I open it up with a riddle. But Matt, her tenure at 135 was good until it wasn't. She lost a couple. Then she comes back to 125, takes on a short-notice opponent, Elise Reed, that's probably going to be a strawweight throughout her career. She had a big win with Bellator against Orion Starr. If you want to look that one up on Twitter. But Matt, it was a giant return to form for Eubanks. A win where you want to see her win in that type of style. And she made weight successfully this late in her career where she couldn't do it years ago. I remember leading into that Elise Reed fight. You were like, hey, this is going to be close, guys. It might be Elise Reed. 
And I, not pat myself on the back, but I remember saying, Eubanks is going to run over this poor girl. And that's exactly what happened. Because Sajara Eubanks is 125 pounds. I don't know who needs to be told this, but someone does. Is a problem. No one at 125 pounds has shown the ability to stop her takedowns. She's the best 7-6, and six, or as the UFC will say, 8-6 and six fighter that you're going to find in this division. Without a doubt. Like, Bill Simmons has this big point about Ricky Rubio, about how if you replayed his career 100 times, this is probably one of the worst versions of it. I feel the exact same way about Sajara Eubanks. And not even these massive wholesale changes need to be made. Like, if she just had her weight in check a little bit more, then she probably is in that main event against Nico Montano for the title at the tough uh, finale. And if she wins that fight, then she's probably headlining a pay-per-view opposite Valentina Shevchenko. And no matter what happens in that fight, that's a high-profile fight. That's setting you up for success in the future. And that's setting you up for big high-level fights from that point on. Because this is the thing people forget. If you win the title and, er, yeah, if you win the title and then you lose the title, you are still ranked number one in the world. If you never get that title shot and you're just sort of in this weird purgatory, you're never ranked because of it. And it all comes down to one finale fight in the Ultimate Fighter. So the whole career of Sajara Eubanks could be that much more different if she was just able to make weight for that one fight. Now, it has been an interesting road afterwards because everyone has been against Sajara Eubanks since that moment. And I'll be honest, some of it's been brought on by herself. She's made a lot of excuses for why she can't make weight and her Twitter's interesting. Let's just say she's not a big fan of wearing masks. But she has been a really solid fighter at 125 pounds. And when you look at her skills and what she does well, you think about her wrestling. You think about her physical strength. I even think about her volume punching because look at the main event of the uh, this fight night. Aspen Ladd is in this main event. Sajara Eubanks boxed her up and like looked pretty good doing it. They had a fight of the night at 135 pounds. So if Sajara Eubanks could have a competitive fight with Aspen Ladd at the Bantamweight division... I think she's going to make light work of Luana Carolina. I really do. You look at this fight, and for Eubanks, I mean, she is a Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu black belt. She's a seven-time IBJJF champion. And again, Carolina, the Muay Thai champion. So it's going to come down to the first round. I really do think it's going to come down to that. Can Eubanks get the takedown? And then in the second, can she keep that pace? And it remains to be seen against Reed. She made quick work. That was the first round. It is a really tricky fight to try and figure out. So when you look at the odds for this one, Eubanks open a minus 240 favorite. She's minus 264 right now. For Carolina, she opened the underdog plus 180. She's plus 212 right now. If we have a look at the topology votes, they're not really that close. 707. Is there an error? I'm just kidding. Uh, 76% have Eubanks, 74% by decision. For the 24% that have Carolina, 87% have her to win by decision. Maybe like the decision prop, I really do like Eubanks in this fight. I mean, yeah, you always have to worry about somebody that's north of 35 kind of stepping into the octagon that's had weigh-in issues. And if you think of it for Eubanks, in 2018, she was in and around Ariel Hawani's show more than Brennan Schaub is right now in 2021. And I mean, listen, the homeless cats are abound these days. It seems like every show is kind of picking up on that one. But I don't know what you're picking up or you're laying down. I don't know what you're ordering when you go to Chang's. But for me, I'm going with Eubanks here. I'm picking up a big bet on Eubanks. I really am. I do like Eubanks in this fight. I think Sajara Eubanks, if just like two different things broke her way, is being talked about as like the second best flyweight fighter of all time. I really do. She beat the brakes off Roxanne Montefiore when Montefiore was considered one of the top fighters in this division. And I understand the division's grown up a lot since then, but still, when at the time you were considered one of the top fighters in it, it's hard for me to think that, oh, now that fighter's completely gone. And 
Even look at Jessica I. Jessica I was a natural 125 pounder who had moved up to 135 pounds and had no success whatsoever in the UFC. And then when the UFC opened up the flyweight division, she moved down and was a better fighter because physically she was able to bully her opponents and it wasn't the other way around. Like she was experiencing 135 pounds. I think Sajara Eubanks is a very similar style to Jessica I to where she really relies a lot on her physicality. And at 125 pounds, other than like... I don't know, Jessica Andrade, maybe Tatiana Suarez. I don't think many fighters in this weight class are going to be able to outmuscle Eubanks. Matt's hot and heavy on Eubanks. I worry about her advanced age and her weight, but we'll see what happens. And you're going to want to tune in to Fight Night Picks question mark kicks on this one, especially because we get the value of hindsight from the week that was in MMA, the weigh-ins on Friday and how it all equates two hours before the prelims. No, I said big bet. That was hyperbole. That was very Yanni the Greek of me. I, I do like Eubanks though. Again, this is a fighter who left the weight division, had a little bit of a rocky road up a weight class, but now that she's back, I really do think she's one of the best fighters in the weight division. Both of us going with Eubanks in this one. Let us know down below in the comments section who you have. Gamble responsibly. Our picks are for informational purposes only. Big time main event coming up between Lad and Dumont that I can't wait for. So keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks as we always say. Let's, let's get, get into it. Hey Danny, welcome back buddy, it's the return of Danny Roberts, hot chocolate, and if you don't know Danny Roberts, this is a guy that goes out there and gets bonuses, he's 6-4 and four in the UFC, he's got two fight of the nights, one against a former common opponent between these two guys and David Zavada, and one against Dominique Steele, a guy that sometimes fights in Canada, I don't know, I mean Dominique Steele, you know him, you love him, but Matt, for Danny Roberts, a very fun fighter, a good striker, a guy that can kind of whip his way into the inside and land a couple of good shots and every now and again he gets flatlined and sometimes you watch don't like Danny to see whip. it watch him nay nay but yeah maybe and for ramazan Amiv, the opposite is true this guy's a decision machine so far in the ufc every fight has gone that way and if you look at it yeah i mean he lost one against who was it well a guy who had to spice things up in his life and throw rocco in there anthony rocco martin but other than that big wins over guys like alberto mina and Stefan Sekulic, you know, the guy that took a really long time off and then picked up a win. Or Niklas Stutz, David Zavada. Matt, the big thing that makes this fight interesting for me, if we're playing record collection of Craig, it's pulling out the greatest hits, the best of, hauling oats, Matt. Because if I'm Ramazan Amiv and I'm in his corner and we're going into that third round, I can't go for that. Oh, no. No can do. Because here's the thing that Ramazan Amiv does. He's a great wrestler. He's very much a position over submission type of guy or position over ground and pound. Very positionally oriented once he gets the fight to the mat. Because what he does, he'll chase you around. He'll get you up against the cage. He gets a double leg. He puts his head into your chest and he just applies a lot of pressure. And it's a great way to win a fight five or six years ago. Guys are a little more dynamic now, but they haven't really figured him out because he only has that one decision loss on his record. The big problem and why I can't go for that, oh no, is because in the third round of every Ramazan Amiv fight, he decides that he's Jean-Claude Van Damme and he's a kickboxer. And it gets him in a lot of trouble. And that's why, out of those two last wins, the one over Niklas Stutz, that one's a unanimous decision win. But against a guy like David Zavada, who's very dynamic and can get it done on the feet, you start to worry as the fight goes on. Because for Amiv, and I'd say maybe even Roberts, because both of these guys are 34, I worry about the cardio when you're so takedown-oriented, and then you start to strike when it gets late, and... Big key, your hands start to drop too. This fight makes me think more of a Paul Abdul than it does Hall & Oates. One step forward, two steps back. 
we come together because opposites attract. And Danny Roberts and Ramazan Amib are opposites in the cage. They do not fight in a similar manner whatsoever because Danny Roberts is... Roberts will, if he decides, I want to grapple, like he did against Slim Imadayev, where he just jumped across the cage, tried to take him down. Imadayev ended up in mount. And then Roberts gets out of it and lands a disgusting knockout. Go ahead. Maybe I was going to talk about stuff in his fights. But anyways, the thing about Danny Roberts is that he excels when he is at the longest range possible in a fight. And he's not a big, big kicker. He will throw kicks, don't get me wrong. But he relies a lot more on his boxing for the range in which he occupies. I'd like Danny Roberts a lot more if he did mix in a calf kick a little bit more. Because at the range that he's at, he is almost in kicking range. And if he was able to add more of like a body and calf kick, it would just allow him to be a little bit more active when he is at that long range. But this is the problem with this fight. When Danny Roberts is at long range, he's only thinking about striking. When Ramzan Amiv is at long range, until the third round, he is only thinking about how to get in on your hips. And the weird thing about Danny Roberts is that I don't hate his takedown defense. I think it's I passable. Hate it. It's bad. Hear me out. It's not that his takedown defense is bad. It's that he can't create separation after that initial takedown attempt. And that's where Ramzan Amiv can kind of thrive. Amiv up a weight class against Sam Alvey was just able to hold Sam Alvey up against the cage. And listen, Sam Alvey's not the greatest fighter in the world by any call means. Call him smiling Sam and call him Alvey. But the thing about Alvey is that he is a big fighter who is pretty strong in those clinch situations. And he's a fighter who fought at 205 pounds. Danny Roberts is kind of the perfect welterweight. And the fact that Amiv was able to outmuscle Alvey was really, really important impressive and it's not a sexy way to win a fight it's not like it's going to win him a ton of bonuses but i could definitely see rams enemy implement the exact same game plan go in there strike for the sake of striking but the second you get hit by one clean shot go into the clinch go for the takedowns and the weird thing about Amiv is it's hard to say he's like a ground and pound fighter or a submission fighter he's really just a i break your base down and let you reset kind of a fighter like fighting rams and Amiv, it, it i'm sure it hurts but it's probably more frustrating than anything at the end of the day and if you look at it i mean roberts has 53 percent takedown defense in the span of 10 fights in the ufc i think that's pretty good to get a gauge on what a guy brings into the octagon but i would say that's not terrible like 53 no, that's bad ufc average is what 65 percent. so he's not that far off you're worse than average that's bad he's worse than average but it's not like his takedown defense is 10 percent. and i think every attempt from a meme is going to get him down the thing about roberts is that he can dig the underhook. He just can't get the separation after that initial underhook. And that's where those takedowns come into play. I'm agreeing with what you're saying. It's just, it's not that his takedown defense just for the sake of defending a takedown is terrible. I truly don't believe it is. I have another thing that I worry about for Danny Roberts. The last time he fought was November of 2019. A wicked knockout win. If you like going back like oh. I do and watching Cody Garbrandt knock out Rafael Sunsau next to the cage. Puts all of his body weight into it. Throws the hook. Roberts plants his both feet. Imadayev just kind of stands there. And then he oh. throws a left and knocks him out and face plants him. And it's disgusting. And it's crazy. But if we throw it back to that, that was 2019. The number one song on the AT40 with Ryan Seacrest was Louis Capaldi's Someone You Loved. And listen, I know, Louis, you're out there. You're an MMA fan. You like Canadian MMA participants, the likes of Nick Baldwin and James Lynch. Throw the boys a ball. Yeah, what's up, man? Hang out. Your Lewis. music's really good. Lewis, come sad. on. Sometimes it's sad. It is. It is. But uh, yeah, I look at that, and then Roberts was supposed to take on uh, Dalby back in, what, last that July? That fight. That fight didn't happen. There was an injury there. Then he was supposed to take on Tim Means back in June. COVID protocols threw us out of that one. So would have been fun fights. We get this one nonetheless. The odds for this fight, Matt. Amiv opened a minus 300 favorite. He's a minus 241 right now. 
Robert's opened a plus 250s, a plus 192. So there's some money coming in on hot chocolate. We look at the total votes on Tapology, not really close. 735 total votes, 88% Ameev. What is that? 85% by decision for the 12% that have Roberts, 58% by decision, 32% by knockout. I see this one being as cut and dry as I did at the start of it. Ramzan Ameev's going to win the first two rounds, and Danny Roberts has a chance to knock him out in the third round. I don't think he will. No, I agree. The issue with Ameev and just saying, oh, he could get knocked out in the third round is he does have a pretty good chin. Like, I, I don't worry about Ameev to where, yes, striking isn't what he's great at, and he is stiff on the feet, but he's not such a bad striker where I just think Danny Roberts is going to knock him out in the first exchange. Like, I do think he can at least survive minutes in that third round to where, let's say he does clinch up, and the first minute and a half is spent in the clinch, then I think he can waste enough time to where he can preserve himself throughout the entirety of this fight. And that's why I like Ramazan Ameev. Again, if this fight's good, Danny Roberts is going to win. But I do think Ramazan Ameev is going to be able to just grind his way to another decision. We're win. looking forward to a boring fight out of Russia's Ramazan Ameev. Burr, Both burr, burr, of us burr, burr. going with him to get the win. I can't wait for this because, Matt, there's so many fights that are exciting. Sanchez Silva. There's Wright taking on Marquez. Heck, there's even Felipe. Estela Nunes. She's taking on Ariane Carnelosi. And if you want to get freaky with it, there's Bellator in the weekend. And Nemkov's taking on a really tough out in Julius Anglicas. But we'll keep it here. We'll keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. And as we always say, let's get into it. Absolute banger. Coming up this weekend at middleweight, we have the former Ultimate Fighter, Season 23 winner at light heavyweight, El Dierte Andrew Sanchez, now representing AKA in California. He's taking on Brazil's Bruno Silva, the former M1 Global middleweight champ. I cannot wait for this fight. It should be absolute fireworks. And for Bruno Silva, we had an extensive preview of his overall background coming into his debut against Wellington Tournament. So let's throw it on over to... A little bit of a preview in the rookie review from 15 Minute Card Breaks, our second channel. If you haven't checked it out, link down below in the description. We definitely appreciate a sub there as we do here because if we had 30,000 here. We're throwing in Dana White's Contender Series previews and predictions. But Matt, we'll throw it on over to the rookie review for Bruno Silva. We'll add it on back into his fight against El Gierte. And man, I can't wait for it. So let's throw it on back to that rookie review. on Bruno Silva. Now, no, it's not that pint-sized flyweight that's really been having tons of success knocking people out. It's the middleweight that used to knock people out, and now finally he's making his UFC debut. Now, I'm reading out of an article from sportskita.com, and this was done back in May, a little bit of an interview Q&A with Bruno Silva. I'm going to read it word for word, so shouts to Sportskita where it's due. Your last fight was in November 2018. What was the reason for the long period of inactivity? Bruno Silva. I had a problem with USADA. I spent a lot of money to prove my innocence, but USADA doesn't impose itself. They want you to take over, and I would never assume something I didn't do. I didn't use it, but I was suspended for two years. I have my conscience clear, and that's why the UFC believed in me, supported me, and didn't fire me. But this is over now, and as I always go over the top this time, it will be no different. Matt, Bruno Silva was supposed to fight on short notice back in 2019 against one Duran Wynn. And I was over the moon because Bruno Silva is an absolute unit. And if you watched him fight with M1 Global, he knocked out Alexander Shlomenko. He knocked out Artem Frolov to win the middleweight championship. Artem Frolov was supposed to end up in the UFC at one point. He had a huge win over Diesel Joe Riggs before he fought Bruno Silva. This was when Craig Allen was getting super into M1 champ championship. And I absolutely love the middleweights that they had. So for me, Bruno Silva was a great signing to the UFC. But 
Again, back in 2019, this is direct word for word from MMA fighting. On Monday, the United States Anti-Doping Agency announced that the Brazilian fighter would face a two-year suspension after he tested positive for boldenone and its metabolite. I can't read it. Uh, so I, I guess I will end quote, resume quote, at a level inconsistent with boldenone, meat contamination, and the result of a urine sample collected out of competition back in May 27th of 2019. So Bruno Silva's been on the shelf for a while. He looks body the F up at Evolu Sao Thai, training with the likes of Joachim Silva, who's also on this card. But Matt, in MMA, in fighting, in most things, you don't get better with inactivity. This is a weird fight, Craig, because the best version of Bruno Silva, A, is a very juicy boy, but B, can knock out anybody, like anybody in the UFC. And I mean, like, anybody even in the top, probably, like, five. Because Bruno Silva's striking really is that kind of pressure, and he has that kind of footwork and pressure to close the distance, too. He's not just a guy who relies on his brute strength to go in there and knock people down. He's a guy who can get into the clinch. He does have good elbows. He does have good knees. Like, he doesn't just have to fight at that kind of brawling rage like we see guys like Cute Delaba, for instance, use at 205. He can stay somewhat technical on the feet, although I will admit, more technical guys like the Uriah Halls of the world, I'm sure, could easily split his timing and take advantage of some of the wildness of Bruno Silva, because to a certain degree, he fights like a modern-day Vanderlei Silva. Like, you are going to get those windows where you can counter him if you're a really technical striker. You can overwhelm him if you have really good cardio. If you're a really good wrestler, you can make him tired that way. And that's what Bruno Silva's going to do. So, for me, I know Bruno Silva pressures in a very different way. He has to use kind of his power and his overall physicality as a pressuring mechanism and not the threat of wrestling. But for me, I really think if Silva can back Termon up, he will have tons of success in this fight. It really comes down to, can Silva knock Termon out before Silva's cardio fades. This fight's absolutely amazing. I mean, Andrew Sanchez, after winning the Ultimate Fighter, getting the win over Khalil Roundtree, he's gone four and four. And we see him big peaks and valleys in his career. I mean, on his best day, he beats Wellington Terman, just like Bruno Silva did. And he earns a performance bonus. And on his worst day, he loses to a guy that works on computers and in IT in Ryan Janes. And he looks terrible in that fight. And Listen, we might have different views of Ryan Janes because we're Canadians and originally he's from Newfoundland, but he trained in BC, like big Janes guys. But Sanchez has those two peaks and valleys. However, I will say in its last two or three, it's leveled off a little bit. And I'll be interested to see which Sanchez we get. That's the big key because he either goes out there and puts on the wrestling shoes like he can. I mean, he's a two-time NAIA national champion in the States or, or we get the guy who's a karate champion and keeps his hands swinging and low and lunges in and out like Sanchez has in wins and in losses. So it's really interesting to see who we're going to get. Andrew Sanchez reminds me of the song Highwaymen by the Highwaymen because he just lives so many different lives. He has been a wrestler. He has been a point fighter. Has he been a dam builder? He hasn't been a dam builder, but hey, there could be more iterations to come in the future. This story is still being written. But the thing about Sanchez is he has shown just completely different versions of himself. Normally when a fighter does expand their game, it's okay. I'm still what I am. I've just added this new thing. With Andrew Sanchez, we've seen him completely switch up his striking style and it's a refreshing look because most guys don't do this most fighters are kind of stubborn in their ways which is a benefit and a negative sometimes but with Sanchez I do like the progress that we've seen and I know it's got him caught in some fights and maybe his karate has sort of slowed the progression of his grappling but I really do think adding this whole other facet to his game is going to pay off more in the long term because if he could ever effectively mix wrestling and karate together Who's the greatest fighter of all time, Craig? 
Wow. George St. Pierre. It's George St. Pierre. And George St. Pierre mixed together wrestling and karate better than anybody had ever seen. He had such great wrestling. Well, it, it was weird because it wasn't his background. But anyways, he used the great wrestling along with the distance management of karate. And when he finally was able to meld those two styles together, that's when he had success. Andrew Sanchez is still in the forge. He hasn't really figured it out. He's still trying to figure out what pieces he likes from all the individual MMA styles. Because if Andrew Sanchez can one day put together the range-finding ability of his karate strikes with his natural wrestling ability, I really do think we'd be dealing with an absolute monster of a fighter. Because just the wrestling of Andrew Sanchez was good enough to get him to the ultimate fighter. Got him to win the Ultimate Fighter, got him a UFC contract, and got him into some competitive fights with some really good fighters too. Like, Andrew Sanchez was the original poster boy of, I wrestle myself into exhaustion. And that really has been the case throughout the early half of his fighting career. But I will say, we've seen a much different fighter these last two or three fights. Yeah, I mean, the prime examples, the fight against Anthony Smith, the fight against Ryan Jeans, those ones are out there. And then you look at the recent losses... Marvin Vittori, Mahmoud Muradov in a fight where he had some success a little bit early and then he had that performance bonus over Terman. So let me flip it over to Bruno Silva and Matt. The prop for today is a record by one meatloaf and it's the original bat out of hell. Now listen, is the back half of that weird? Yeah. Is meatloaf's red scarf weird? Yeah, it is really weird. Did I pick this record up? Really on the cheap at Dr. Records in Bangor, Maine? You're darn tootin' and with the border closed, I miss it. But the point I'm trying to make, the greater point, is Bruno Silva's fighting career can be epitomized in a lot of the songs found here because he acts like a bat out of hell. You took the words right out of my mouth. Well, that's just about every Bruno Silva knockout, of which 17 of his 20 wins are by knockout. Uh, heaven can wait because Bruno Silva is never going to die in his fights. He always knocks guys out. Uh, what else? All revved up with no place to go. That's his opponent when they get knocked out. And the last one I'm going to go with, this Matt. Is... Two out of three ain't bad, which is not the way that Andrew Sanchez is going to get the win here. Matt, I see Bruno Silva going in there and sending Andrew Sanchez to the shadow realm. I really do. I think Bruno Silva is one of those guys that you have to watch out for at 185. In a career, UFC career at least, it's been stymied by that two-year layoff due to a USADA suspension. We talked about it in the rookie review, and we can talk about it a little bit now. He played touch butt in the park with one of his buddies being willing to determine his last fight because they grappled for a little bit, and then he shut his friend's lights out. So yeah, I like Bruno Silva in this fight quite a bit. I like Bruno Silva in this fight, but I don't have the same level of confidence that you do. There is a world out there where Andrew Sanchez decides, hey, screw this karate stuff, I'm just going to become a wrestler because I'm telling you right now, Bruno Silva does have good takedown defense, but he can't just go out there and wrestle Andrew Sanchez for 15 minutes. Not in any Can Andrew any Sanchez world. wrestle for 15 minutes? Well, let me finish my points sometimes, Craig, and we'll get to that. That's the thing with Andrew Sanchez. He kind of has to be perfect for 10 minutes, and then we just sort of question what version of himself we're getting in that third round. Because look at the Anthony Smith fight. That's sort of the perfect Andrew Sanchez fight, because he is having his way with Anthony Smith. He's at wrestling him. He's really implementing himself physically on Anthony Smith. But the second that power bar does start to fade, and the second he does start to slow down, Anthony Smith moves forward one time with a blitz, lands this weird, like, sort of jump knee, sort of head kick, and completely starches Andrew Sanchez. So it really does come down to the gas tank of Andrew Sanchez but 
I think he's going to be able to get the takedowns easy enough to where he won't be overexerting himself and he won't be that much of a lesser version of himself. I think he's going to be able to stay in this fight, make it competitive, but I still don't think Bruno Silva is going to land that one big shot. I look at the odds for this one, Matt, and I was pleasantly surprised that Sanchez opened a minus 120 favorite. He's a plus 114 on best fight odds. For Silva, he opened a plus 100. He's a minus 139 right now. If we go over to topology, total votes 744 of them, 86% Silva, 79% by knockout for the 14% that of Sanchez 65% by decision I like Bruno Silva by knockout in this one I mean Sanchez has been chin checked before and yeah he's been able to last in there with some good fighters I mean we've seen it again Marvin Vittori wasn't able to finish him so there's that right Marvin not really a big finisher though no that much is true but again Bruno Silva in this one I like his grappling I like his takedown defense enough do I worry about his gas tank? Yeah, but I do as well for Andrew Sanchez. So I like Silva in this one by finish. No, I like Silva in this fight. But again, I I'm a little worried because if Andrew Sanchez ever does figure it all out, then he really does become a, a tricky opponent for anybody in the division. But I do think Silva will be able to get another big win. And the real question is, he has a lot of hype coming into the UFC. Do you think they give him a ranked opponent next and just kind of throw him into the fire right away if he does look impressive? Bruno Silva is my Yuri Prohashka at 185. Like, I really do have that high hopes for a guy like Silva to end up fighting right up there at the tippy Maybe top. Like Uriah Hall next. I, I think, and that's somebody that we talked about in the rookie review. I think Hall gives him some problems, but Silva's one of those guys that I think his ceiling in the UFC is a lot higher than an Alex Pereira coming in here with all that shine from kickboxing. I think Silva's one of those guys you really have to watch out for in this division. So both of us going with Bruno Silva. Let us know down below in the comments section. Do you think that we're going to get to see Paradise by the Dashboard Light? Aldierte Sanchez? Tough. That, there's a reason why it was really cheap. I mean, the cover's not the greatest. But, Matt, I absolutely love this fight. And our next one. I mean, this is the prelim headliner. But to kick us off on the main card, Julian Marcus taking on... Jordan Wright, you're not going to want to miss it. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. Absolute banger. Kicking off our main card this weekend. If you're not excited about any other fight on this card, get excited about this one because both of these guys have 100% finishing rates. And for Julian Marquez, it's absolutely amazing. I mean, six wins by knockout, three wins by submission. It's two losses, both by decision. Guy who has had his chin check before, and he's usually seen the other side of it and finished his opponents. Look at his last fight against Sam Alvey, if you want to see one where he kind of fights through adversity. A guy coming back off a long injury layoff. All different stories written about him. A guy that's now competing out of a different gym. What's he going to look like? And he passed that test and won a fight of the night bonus to boot. And for his opponent, Jordan Wright, the conversation coming into the UFC was, well, he got his chin check once against Fluffy Hernandez, and he's lucky that he tested positive for the weed that's his no contest but this is a guy that has 100 percent finishing rate in his win and in his loss column which is definitely concerning his level of competition coming into the ufc was absolutely poor but so far in the ufc it's been a weird bucket of muscles and a bit of a mixed bag you look at it for jordan wright a win over ike villanueva by finish a loss to joaquin buckley by finish a win over jamie pickett well, you guessed it. It's by finish. And both of these guys have those finishing abilities. Both guys coming in from very interesting gyms. And Matt, when I throw it on over to you, Julian Marquez could have had a bit of a, a movie moment in a Guardians of the Galaxy where he got the chance to shoot a shot with a superstar. And Matt, he threw an air ball. He threw an air ball. Where, where, where's Miley Cyrus at these UFC events? We see Travis Barker and is it Courtney Kardashian? I don't know. I think it is. 
We don't see Miley Cyrus at them, though. I know that one for sure. So for Julian Marquez, he missed there, and he beat Sam Alvey. Now he's going to fight Jordan Wright. This should be a good fight. Julian Marquez not doing interviews on Bloody Elbow because he got minor criticism that was very justified. That's the weird thing about Julian Marquez. I don't really know what he does well, but I know what he doesn't do well. And that's a gross exaggeration. Let me get this 100% uh, correct. It's just... Julian Marquez, is he a good striker? Yes, but I worry about him striking against the upper echelon strikers in really any division, be that light heavyweight or middleweight. Is he a good grappler? Yeah, but he's not really a grappler in the traditional sense. A lot of his wins via grappling or via submission are because I hurt my opponent or we're in a scramble and then I end up getting their neck in just a weird position. I just, it's really hard to just pinpoint down what Marquez does exceptionally well. Yes, he has a good gas tank. Yes, he is very durable. And he does just kind of find a way to win a fight, which at the end of the day is all we care about. It's just when you're trying to predict, okay, how's Julian Marquez going to win this fight? It's hard to say he can out-volume a lot of his opponents, although yes, he does have good cardio. He doesn't really have the style that weaponizes his cardio and forces his pace on his opponent always. Look at the uh, Alessio de Chirico fight. That fight was just really spent a lot in the clinch, and a lot of the positives about Marquez, you just kind of look at that one fight and... They're not really positives. I think Marquez is a good clinch fighter, but DeKiriko sort of put out whatever fire Marquez had in that position, and if you're just really sound defensively, which Jordan Wright is not, you can beat Julian Marquez. So I do think this is going to be either a very, very fun fight because both guys are going to be landing big power shots on the outside, or this could be one of those fights where both guys are kind of hesitant of the other one's power, and we just sort of get them skirting around the outside of the cage. Julian Marquez is marquee win to me. Dana White's contender series, he beats Phil Hawes, and you know how good Phil Hawes is now. A guy that didn't want to take a fight against what? Chris, Chris Curtis, Curtis and then James Krause, who's Julian Marquez's coach, stepped in there last week. It's a whole weird bucket of muscles, but all that to say, Marquez aligned with glory, MMA, and fitness been pretty good so far jordan wright comes out of one of the odder camps i think that's out there because you read it dynamics mma what is that like cyberdyne systems like what's the scoop there what who is this guy oh well his coaches are anthony hardong and vladimir machyshenko a guy that fought well the last light heavyweight champion before the current one that we have now so that fight happened fought in real tito life ortiz too fought tito ortiz just the janitor a real hard working great fighter but matt I love that four right. The things that I don't like, leaves his head out there. He's either all in when he's striking, and when he's on the defensive, he's very stiff. It's like a robot trying to understand human emotions. And listen, in 2021, they can kind of do that. It's the whole Cyberdyne system comparison. But with Jordan Wright, it's like, okay, old-timey fighter. I'm going to keep my hands out, my head's right there, and bang, bang. Like You can get hit pretty easily. And he doesn't eat them well either. And, and that that kind of goes towards that, okay, he has one loss by knockout to Joaquin Buckley. He has one loss by finish to uh, Fluffy Hernandez, but it's a no contest, so that's thrown in but there. But weed doesn't make you better at fighting, so. No, it doesn't. And now, you know, all would be forgotten if that fight happened today, but it didn't. So, Matt, when I look at this one, the odds... Marquez open to minus 175 is a minus 226. Jordan Wright open to plus 150 is plus 182. If we have a look at the topology votes for this one, they're not close at all. 805 total votes, 81% Marquez, 21% by submission, 61% by knockout. For the 19% that I've right, 63% by knockout. So Matt, we got a couple of guys that can bang. One guy's shown to be a little bit of a glass cannon. One guy hasn't. He's tough and durable, but cardio, definitely a question for both guys. Because if you look at it for Jordan Wright, he's only been into the second round like a couple of times. Like one time he gets knocked out by Joaquin Buckley. One time he gets a knockout. So really, Jordan Wright's a fast starter. And Julian Marquez can be a slow burn.
So, uh, I guess this is where my big issue lies. I guess we both agree. Chin and heart start where, like, chin matters until you get dropped, and then heart is your ability to get back up, right? Julian Marquez, I think, has a good chin and good heart, but he's been hurt a lot. Like, he's been wobbled in fights quite a bit, and that's the thing about Marquez. Like, he does have a good chin, and he's definitely the more durable fighter than Jordan Wright, but we know that because he's been hit clean quite a few times throughout his fighting career. Like, Darren Stewart is a fighter that I have a much higher opinion on than most people, but Darren Stewart landed clean on Julian Marquez a lot in their fight, and I do worry about Marquez when he fights those upper echelon strikers in this division. I'm not saying Jordan Wright is one of those guys, but I think if Jordan Wright can start to string together a little bit of momentum early on, if he can land some of those power shots from the outside early, I can see a world where Jordan Wright finishes Julian Marquez. I really can, and I think I'm going to pick the underdog in Jordan Wright for those reasons. I'll get Jordan Wright as well, and I know that the comments when we get this fight wrong if Julian Marquez wins throughout the week they're going to be incredibly negative these guys don't know what they're talking about put yourself in my shoes yes Julian Marquez hasn't been finished you beat Sam Alvey so where are we at in that fight that was a great win obviously it won a bonus that was a great one Jordan Wright okay he gets knocked out by Joaquin Buckley who I'm going to assume I'm going to cap him at a 50-50 guy good I don't hand even... speed though big power yeah there is that Jamie Pickett was able to hit him a couple of times but didn't really crack him and then he ended up with a great win over him so for me I do like Wright and the reason why I like him is his unorthodox style when he's on the offensive he's really long he's really rangy you think of Aldierte Sanchez on his best night when he's throwing strikes that's kind of Jordan Wright. Now, yeah, he gets his chin checked and he, he's gotten finished and that's always going to be a question, which is why people are going to shy away from him. But I'm going to take him in this one because I think it's Chris striking could end up winning this fight for him. And I like him as it goes on, which all of this seems like I'm just kind of digging myself a hole. But I do like those reasons. So I've got Wright as an underdog in this spot. And you're in agreement too. Like, what's going on? This is a bizarro one here. It is just... Marquez, in a lot of his fights, has taken advantage of the uh, lapses in focus of his opponent or the mistakes of his opponent throughout the fight. He's not a fighter who goes out there and takes it from his opponent. Like, Max Holloway, for instance, is a great example. Like, Max Holloway doesn't win his fights because his opponent goes out there and makes a mistake and he capitalizes on it. He beats you because he outpoints you, he avoids your strikes, and he hits you with his own. Julian Marquez, when he wins, is, I'm boxing you up, you shoot for a bad shot, I get you in a guillotine and, like, a weird in-between... So unless Jordan Wright does make some cataclysmic error, I do think Wright will be able to get it done. Like we mentioned earlier from the Gal Guardians of the Galaxy record, the first one, for Jordan Wright, I think the perfect song is Fooled Around and Fell in Love. Don't do that with striking defense or you're going to get finished. But both of us right now, Matt, going with Dynamics MMA's own Jordan Wright. Let us hear it. I want to hear the booze. Come on, let's get it down below in the comment section. Or if you're in agreement on this one, but I'm going to hazard to guess most people aren't. We got a big time fight card coming up and I'm looking forward to it. Fioro taking on Maeda Bueno Ooh. Silva. That's a big fight in the main event. Aspen Ladd taking on Norma Dumont. That's a fight that's going to happen. Yeah, let's keep it locked in with fight name picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. Marquee fight in the ever-dynamic women's flyweight division. We have Frances the Beast, Manafiaro. She's taking on Brazil, Chitara, Maeda Bueno Silva. 
The Beast isn't an original nickname. Shitara is, but it's kind of weird. I'm really looking forward to this fight, and it's one that should have taken place a couple of weeks ago. Unfortunately, Manon Fioro and her team seem to have some COVID issues. So ultimately, we get it on October 16th, and I'm really glad we'll be able to throw it back to the prediction that we made before their originally scheduled fight just a couple of weeks ago. We'll update those odds and make a final pick and prediction on this one. So let's throw it on back to that video. And I absolutely love this matchup because you're just taking fire and pitting it against fire and the odds are a lot closer than that co-main event and i love this one because for manoff former the fighter champion with efc and yeah efc their logo looks a lot like the ufc and they have a show like the ultimate fighter that they just call the fighter but manon was able to win that then win the belt she goes over with uae warriors capitalizes on great opportunities in 2020 ends up in the ufc to say that she's one of the most exciting fighters in this division is that fair? Oh, without a doubt. She is very unique in this division because she's not just an aggressive puncher that then gets knockouts. She's a technical knockout artist, and that's not something that we have very many of in the whole of the UFC. Like, Santiago Ponzinibbio's one at 170. Weird name that I thought of, but still. I would say Manofiolo kind of fights in that style. Many fighters at this weight division, or many prospects even, look at Macy Barber, for instance. She can get knockout wins, but it's a lot of wild looping hooks and just her being aggressive. Manofiolo can wait behind the jabs, set up combinations, throw her kicks along with her punches. Like, she's not only a very exciting prospect, she's a legit prospect who I see with a very high ceiling in this division. She has a great opportunity to hurt fighters when she's even on the back foot. We rarely ever see that, but when she's moving forward, she's like the Maria Sharapova of MMA because it's a lot of ha ha. But the other thing that she does great, a great sidekick to the body. You see that work with great effect in just about every single fight. She also throws those great combinations. My favorite shot of hers, and I had to write it down, that left straight to go with those kicks. Oh. It's like, oh, I'm, I'm already thinking about the kicks. I know they're coming because they can come. It could be a question mark kick. It could be a prodding kick to the, to the side, to the liver. It could be a shot to the thigh. It could be a shot to the leg. You have to think so much. And then she throws her left hand out there. It's like, holy smokes, what are we dealing with here? Well, now she's going to be taking on Maeda Buena Silva, a fighter who has flames tattooed on her arm, which is so 2000 and late. But you, you also have to worry about her because she's a shoot-to-box fighter. And of course, you're going to see Gloria DePaula in her corner, who's also in the UFC, has a fight coming up of her own. But for Buena Silva in the UFC, she beats Mayana Souza over on Contender Series a very long time ago. Comes in off the bat and submits Jillian Robertson. Now, in 2021... That might not come as a surprise. But back then, it was like, wow. Maeda Buena Silva, this is something special. She then loses to Marina Moroz. Okay, <laughs> you can get out volume by Moroz, and that's what happened. She comes back out and submits Mara Romero Barella. That's halfway impressive. Then in her last fight, it's a majority draw against Montana De La Rosa. And I had to go back and watch that fight to really understand why. Because to me, Maeda Buena Silva won that fight. And to a lot of people, she won that fight. Except... She lost the point for an egregious fence grab. In the first round, that's why it's a draw. If that didn't happen, Maeda Buena Silva would have won that fight. The judges' scorecards, 228-28, 128-27. Diego Herzog would have beaten Martin Sano earlier on when I was talking about these fights. Maeda Buena Silva would have also beat De La Rosa if it wasn't for that fence grab. And the other thing for Maeda Buena Silva, like the stats maybe don't paint a great picture. And she's had a little bit of a UFC run. Again, that's going to count that fight that she had on Contender Series. You look at it, 
She's never been able to get a takedown, but when she's on the ground, that's when she's really slick and slippery, and she's going to attempt a lot of submissions with just brute force and strength. The other thing, negative strike differential, which isn't great, but a good strike accuracy. I never bring up strike totals anymore. Two, three years ago, fight name picks, sure, I you used to do it all the time. Manuel Fioro, so far in the UFC, has video game stats in two fights. She finishes poor Victoria Leonardo, and then she's supposed to fight Marina Moroz, so we would have had that connection. Moroz out, so on short notice, they bring in Tabitha Ricci, who didn't stand that a gosh bad. darn chance, and she just teed off and made her nose look like a stick of butter. So for me, I love this fight because you get fire and fire, and I love those matchups. And at 125, finishing abilities, maybe not there for a lot of fighters. Both of these fighters can finish fights, and that's what makes this one so much fun. And just to expand a little bit more upon my Buena Silva's submission ability off her back, like, just go back and watch Jillian Robertson fight. That's how Buena Silva gets her win. Because you have to remember, Robertson was just coming off of choking the life out of Molly McCann, and it was disgusting when it happened. So people just kind of figure, like, wow, that is the jujitsu ace for the division. And then Buena Silva comes in, and she's like, no, 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 Dikembe Mutombo style, and gets an armbar off of her back from her guard. It's so hard to get submissions off your back at the UFC level and the fact that Bueno Silva was able to do that against another primary grappler just speaks volumes about how good of a grappler Silva is. My big issue with this fight though is that not only does Bueno Silva at or lack the wrestling to get Fioho down to the mat, I don't love her ability to close the distance either or to strike on the outside. I really do feel like this fight's going to be Manon Fioho setting up her combinations over and over and over again. Because for Silva, I just don't know what her plan B is. I know what her plan A is. It's going to be to try to drag Fioho down to the mat. But if she's not able to do that, I don't think she's going to be able to outstrike Fioho for any period of time in this fight. So if she's not able to uh, at least get into a grappling sequence, I just don't know where Silva's going to be able to win her moments or her rounds in this fight. Well, and it's tricky because for Silva, she doesn't have to kind of take the fight to the mat herself. She can get taken down and then really kind of work her game either way. It's almost like, and it's, it's a watered-down version. It's almost like a Mackenzie Dern. Okay, if the fight's on the mat, I can still have success here. When I throw my hands and I throw in combination, I have a lot of success. But that's it. She gets hit a lot, too. And for Fioro, she's shown a propensity not to get hit. She's good in the clinch. And then if we go back to her fights with UA Warriors, she fights a Canadian pure grappler in Corinne Laframboise. And then she gets the fight to the mat, and I went, oh, this is bad. Because Karin's record's not good. But she is a very, very good grappler. And Manon has a lot of success there. And out of some of her other fights, I go, okay, I don't worry about her as much as I would out of a pure striker. She's somebody that had so much success on the IMMAF scene. We've seen a lot of different guys uh, and gals that have had success there move up through the ranks, and then boom, you're a great fighter. Or... You're burning the candle at both ends. You burnt yourself out as an amateur. So you get either or. All right, so the COVID stuff kind of scares me because on a scale of 1 to 10, it's really hard to tell how it's going to affect anybody. So that's why this one scares me away from a bet on the fight because you just don't know what you're going to get. But what I do know is that Manofioro, if this was like an old-timey saloon, she busted through those doors. She beats Victoria Leonardo by knockout. She beats Tabitha Ricci by knockout. But they were never going to be ranked fighters in the UFC. And for Tabitha Ricci, especially not at 125. So it's been really lower level of competition. But incredible knockout wins that we don't normally see in this division. For Maeda Bueno Silva, 
I think on her best day, honest to goodness, top 10 fighter in this division. Ugh. But the trouble is, it's been up and down and up and down. She beats Jillian Robertson by submission back when that was a big deal. She loses to Marina Moroz and gets out volume. She submits Mara Romero Barella, and then she has a, a draw against Montana De La Rosa. So I really don't know where the ceiling is anymore because in 50-50 positions, uh, Buena Silva's kind of struggled, but she has that in her back pocket. You know, you're going to have Gloria DePaula in your corner. You do train at shoot the box. So this should make for a very entertaining fight. I'd love to get your final thoughts on this one. Mark Buena Silva is a classic example of a great jiu-jitsu practitioner whose wrestling just hasn't quite caught up to where her overall grappling is. And that's why I like Manafio quite a bit in this fight because she not only can defend takedowns in a traditional sense, what does she also have to her benefit? Great footwork. And footwork, we've known, is one of the best ways to defend a takedown. It's like what they say. How do you get out of X submission? You just don't get into it in the first place. How do you avoid takedowns? Don't let your opponent get close enough to begin with. And feel those footwork, I really do think, can be used not only offensively to get in and out of the pocket, but can be used defensively to defend a lot of the takedowns from Buena Silva. So I like Fiolo quite a bit in this division. My real big point about her is... There's no one in this division that anybody thinks has even a small chance to beat Valentina Shevchenko right now. But Manon, Manon has a tiny glimmer of hope. I'm not saying she's going to go on and knock out the champ in like a year, but in a division that needs fun challengers and needs people to be brought up the right way, I really do think that if they market Fioho in a correct way, and if they do build her up, it's sort of a Bellator slow burn kind of a way. I think she could be a top five fighter. I really do. You don't have performances like she does in the cage and just be sort of a flash in the pan. We don't see finishes at this weight division ever. And she's going out there getting them with combinations, with single shots. It's just, it's not, they're not skill sets that you see demonstrated at the weight class all that often. The odds for this one, Fyodo open is still about a minus 224. Buena Silva, she opened a plus 175 in and about there. The total votes on topology, Ooh. 743 of them, 92% Fioro, 31% by decision, 61% by knockout for the 8% that are Bueno Silva, 42% by decision, 35% by submission. I see Fioro winning a decision here if she's at or around 100%. But again, that whole COVID thing scares me off from betting on this one. I would just stay away from it because you never know what somebody's going to look like. I know on her best day, she can absolutely flatline. Fighters that are nowhere near the top 15. Buena Silva's in that 20 to 15 category. And on her best day, she's beating fighters from 15 to 10. But when I look at this one, I go, Fioro, okay. Can she beat Joanne Calderwood? Can she beat Jessica I? Can Manuel Fioro go out there and beat Lauren Murphy? Like, those are the questions I'm asking myself. When I'm thinking about Maeda Buena Silva, I think, okay, can she beat Jillian Robertson again? Can she beat Montana De La Rosa in six months like I just that's the way that I look at this fight and when I look at their styles I think again yeah you're right the footwork of Fioro the combinations and the elusiveness that's what wins it out for me I know I talked everybody's ear off about the Corinne Laframboise fight but that's what kind of strengthens my pick on Fioro in terms of her groundwork if you can survive against a good an accredited Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt like that I think she's gonna it's gonna pay off in strides as she moves up the rankings in the UFC so for those reasons I've got Fioro here but again, the hesitancy from the, the little two-week layoff and the reasons around it, I just, I kind of worry about it that way. I'm still like Fioro. Both of us going with Francis Manuel Fioro to get the win. Can't wait for the fight and the rest of the fights on this card. Sanchez taking on a tough out Bruno Silva. Wright versus Marcus. Who knows what's going to happen? Love these fights. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks, as we always say. Let's get into it. 
Listen, in this fight on our main card, we have a UFC record setter looking to set some more records in Jim Miller, A10, the guy representing Miller Brothers MMA, taking on an interesting fighter coming into the UFC, former combate star, Eric the Ghost Pepper Gonzalez, my... I think this is a very much Clash of Styles type of fight because for Jim Miller, and I will list the accolades, once he fights and even steps into the octagon, he is going to take in and no longer is he tied for the number one spot with 37 fights with Donald Cerrone. That's a lot of time spent in the octagon. Jim Miller is going to hit it at 38. He's a guy that could, if he ends up getting the win, he's going to end up tied with Damian Maya for 22 wins in the octagon. And that is a big one. He could be tied for third with finishes with Matt Brown and Anderson Silva if he gets a finish win in this fight. But for Jim Miller, it's been interesting because he's been down. He's been up. He's taken on such a high-level competition since he entered the UFC's octagon over, what, a decade ago? Now he's taken on Eric Gonzalez, a guy who doesn't fight like his last two opponents in Vince Pichel. And his last time out there, he took on Joe Selecki. And he's been out-grinded and out-grappled in those last two fights, too. And that really has been the disappointing thing to see out of Jim Miller. Because if you know him for anything, it is his grinding and grappling type of a style. Even look at sort of the late, I'll say the twilight stages, because right now, we're in the dark ages of Jim Miller's career. There was sort of a post-prime where he was having good competitive fights with really good fighters. He just wasn't coming out on the winning side of them. Like, he had a good fight with Dustin Poirier. He had a good fight with Anthony Pettis. Dan Hooker knocked him out. But still, that whole losing streak, he was fighting really, really good fighters at that stage of his career. And like you had mentioned, he's been around for a long time. He was still considered old at UFC, what, 207 when he fought Dustin Poirier. And that was a while ago now. So that tells you how long Jim Miller's been around for. But it has been disappointing to see that now he is starting to lose in the exchanges that he once thrived in. Now, I don't think that's going to be an issue in this fight against Eric Gonzalez because Gonzalez is such a striking heavy type of a fighter compared to Jim Miller. But this is the weird thing about Eric Gonzalez and this sort of fight that he's having with Jim Miller. I think the UFC could have done a much better job matchmaking him in his initial fight. Like, if you have a guy coming in from outside the UFC, normally you want to build them up. Normally you want to give them an exciting fighter or a, an opponent who is really exciting. They're giving Eric Gonzalez one of these fights where it's a very sink or swim situation. Either he goes out there, knocks out Jim Miller, and kind of proves that, okay, Jim Miller is over the hill, or Jim Miller out-wrestles Eric Gonzalez, does all those classic Jim Miller things that we love him for, and then Eric Gonzalez is seen as, as, oh, you're just that guy who sort of revamped Jim Miller's career. So I I don't really think the UFC is doing Gonzalez any favors with this matchup. Gonzalez at 14 and 5, he's taken part in a couple of different combate tournaments that add or detract from that record. So I do want to list some of these off because I do think it's interesting. His pro debut was a three-round but three-minute round fight that he ended up winning over Darion Chapman. Then he had a fight uh, back in 2018, Combate Tournament, against Andres Quintana. He loses that one by decision, but that was one five-minute round. Then he ends up in the last Combate Tournament he was in at Combate 53 in 2019. He beats Yoel Jimenez. That's one five-minute round. Then he gets another win over Miko Tukto. Three three-minute rounds. Then he ends up losing to Umberto Bandanai. Three five-minute rounds. Tournament, Copa Combate. They have the big trophy. Campbell McLaren gets excited. For Eric uh, Gonzalez, he's won his last two fights with some smaller promotions. One in Mexico, one in the States. Gets a win over 7-5, Oziel Rodriguez. Gets a win over, what, 5-3, and three, Samuel Alvarez. 
Lower levels of competition, nobody near the same level as Jim Miller. Again, like I said, Miller got out-wrestled and out-grappled against Vince Pichel as well as Joe Selecki. Before that, a big win over Roosevelt Roberts. It was real kind of show-me type one where Roberts makes a mistake. Miller runs in there, ends up getting the submission win. But in this one, it's interesting. Like you said, Eric Gonzalez is a guy. Eight of his 14 total wins are by knockout. He has three inches of height. He has three inches of reach in this lightweight division. I'll be interested to see which version of Jim Miller we get. Because for Eric Gonzalez, I know exactly what I'm going to get. Like the record that I have behind me from Ghost, it's going to be like Square Hammer. And the square? And on the level? We got to see right here, right now, Matt. I think Eric Gonzalez has just got to go out there and follow the game plan that we've seen work for him in those fights. Work behind the jab. Work in a lot of his striking. He gets a little wild. He gets a little reckless. And you know Jim Miller is going to be going in there, trying to get the takedown, trying to go for the leg. I think we're going to get that same old Jim Miller. It's just what can Gonzalez bring into the octagon that Jim Miller hasn't seen before at 38? Yeah, nothing. Because Jim Miller's been in there with every kind of opponent. The real question is... What version of Jim Miller are we going to get? And athletically, where is he in his life, really? Because when you think about Jim Miller, no one thinks he's going to go on some sort of crazy winning streak and win a title anytime soon. Like, it's just sort of... Not cool if he did. Yeah, but it's how much longer is he going to be in the UFC for? And if he does win, it's going to look spectacular and they're going to give him another one. But the issue with this fight against Gonzalez is I worry about Jim Miller's durability at this stage of his career. And I don't think he can just go out there and wrestle for 15 minutes like he used to be able to. I think maybe a 35-year-old Jim Miller can go out there and have a grapple-heavy fight and still have a consistent fight throughout 15 minutes. I don't think this version of him can. So I like the underdog in this one. I think Gonzalez can land a big shot. Now, this thing about Gonzalez, and it worries me a lot moving forward. You said if he worked behind the jab... I definitely don't think about Gonzalez as a guy who does work behind his jab. He is somebody who rushes forward a lot. And that's kind of like, when I think about Eric Gonzalez, think of Marcelo Rojo when he had his debut against Charles Jordan. Like, I thought that would be the type of matchmaking they would give Gonzalez in his debut. I didn't think they'd give him a grinder in Jim Miller. So, while I will admit, if Miller wins, it's going to look really bad for Gonzalez, I think Gonzalez can defend a few initial takedown attempts and force Jim Miller to become a striker. I've seen Eric Gonzalez struggle with the takedowns. I look at the odds for this one. Miller opened a minus 185. He's minus 202. A little rich for my blood. For Eric Gonzalez, opened a plus 160. He's plus 166. Over on Topology, the total votes for this one, 642, 81% Miller, 67% of those 81 have him. To win by submission, 19% that have Gonzalez, 58% by decision. I like Jim Miller in this one. I've seen Eric Gonzalez struggle with the takedowns and with the grappling. I think if Miller goes out there easily, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up with a submission win in this one. But again, it's 38-year-old Jim Miller. And if it goes bad, it goes bad. And he's been totally out-grappled. Pichel, even old Pichel, pretty good grappler. And Joe Selecki, you know exactly what he's going to do every time out. Thought that he beat Jared Gordon, but whatever. In this one, yeah, I still think Jim Miller can get it done against a guy like Eric Gonzalez, who... I don't see as having, you know, a championship ceiling. I don't see a top 15 ceiling. I see a 50-50 guy, maybe like a, you know, he bats uh, a 300, and that's cool in baseball, but not in MMA. I agree with everything you've said, but I think we've seen Father Time come and take Jim Miller. Jim Miller can't even win in the areas that he specializes in. And I think that's when we sort of see a fighter's time come and go. I think, again, if he's going to have success, we're going to figure it out right away. He's going to throw two shots or two punches, shoot for a takedown. And if he gets that initial takedown, I expect Jim Miller to just rinse and repeat, do it again and again. But I don't think he has that same level of explosiveness. I don't think he has the same cardio that he used to. And that's why I pick Gonzalez. I don't think Gonzalez is going to have the longest UFC career ever. But I think 
he at least has uh, youth on his side in this matchup, and I think he'll be able to get it done against Miller. We're split on the pick. I want to hear from everybody down below in the comments section. Do you have Jim Miller? Do you have Eric Gonzalez? I've got Miller. Matt's got Gonzalez. We've got big time fights on this card that you're not going to want to miss. Just keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into, into it. it. Attention listeners from across the galaxy, all the way from Australia to Houston. Do we have a pew problem? Do we? No. Do we? Luckily, because we're sponsored by Manscaped. If so, our friends at Manscaped, they have you covered. And they have you cleared for takeoff with their performance package. Their fourth generation lawnmower 4.0. The greatness and the goodness that can be found in that bag is unlike any other. And listen, the orbits in your pants, they will feel like you're in zero gravity when you use the best tools for the job from the leaders in men's below the waist grooming, join the over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped and get the get your rocket ready for takeoff, apparently, by going to manscaped.com using the promo code FNP. You're going to get 20% off and free shipping. Matt, we've been there before. I mean, you're below the waist grooming. And we have a new studio here. People might not realize this, but it is new. And what I will say from bathroom to bathroom is the fact that, yeah, in my poorly lit a dimly lit shower that I had before, it wasn't all that great. You couldn't really see all that great. Now, it's the shower-bath combo, which is great because I get to soak in the Epsom salts every now and again. And listen, last week I had my wasp pan that was blown up, so it could have done wonders there. Actually, you probably want to ice it. I iced it. It was a venom reaction. I don't think people need to know. But what they do need to know is that that new shower bath combo is dark AF over in there, and it's just across the way. Now I can see what I'm doing with that 4000K LED. It's almost like a spotlight that's featured on the lawnmower 4.0. You can also pop that bad boy open, so if it's cut with trimmings, you can just pop it in there. You can throw in the old uh, lube, get it moving around. You gotta lube your motors. Everybody knows that. But there's all sorts of great stuff with the Performance Package 4.0. You're gonna get the Weed Whacker Nose Hair Trimmer, which, if you don't know me, I've had a nose hair issue for some time now. My wife knows it. Matt knows it. You can see them. It sounds like he's mowing grass right now if you can't hear it. Well, just the weeds. And they're thicker, so that's the best part of it. But all sorts of great stuff included here, as well as, Matt, we've got the Crop Preserver Ball Deodorant. You spritz a little bit of that on. It's like a salve. Slap that stuff on your nuts. And the other great tool that's in here is a crop reviver. That one's a ball toner. You talk about a spritz, it's just the light, airy. And if you want to have a good day, put a couple of pumps on that. Let yourself air out. You're going to have a great one. Also included with the performance package, if you check it out, you're going to get a couple of neat things. You're going to get your boxers. They fit quite well. As well as the shed travel bag. And if you know anything about me, when I'm out, I'm traveling the world. There's nothing better than a nice toiletry bag. So... Check them out. You're going to get 20% off and free shipping with the code FMP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping. And I can't really, you know, focus on that one enough because there's nothing worse than getting dinged with a shipping charge at the end with code FNP. Your dick and balls need some help for a clean trinity and beyond. Your space balls will thank you, Matt. We've been rocking with Manscaped for the majority of the year this year as it's gone on. And we couldn't be more pleased because... People checking out the sponsor, it helps us, and it's the very best. It's a great relationship there. I can't say enough about it. Yeah, make sure you guys use promo code FNP for 20% off and free shipping. Matt, big time fights coming up. Our co-main event. Oh boy, Gatekeeper Arlovsky, Carlos Felipe, and in the main event. Oh boy, 
Aspen Lad, Norma Dumont. We got a lot of thoughts on those fights. You're not going to want to miss it. So keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's get into it. Big time fight coming up this weekend at heavyweight. We have the former UFC heavyweight champion, Andre Orlovsky, taking on Carlos Felipe, Matt's boy. His nickname's boy. We got a big time fight, Matt. And I'm looking forward to this one because for Carlos Felipe, his last two times out, he kind of fucked around and got split decision wins. And you hate to see that, especially for such an interesting prospect in this division. Because if you look at it for Felipe, what's his kryptonite? It was grappling. It's his takedown defense. We saw that in the Sergei Spivak fight that really kind of gave us the introduction after a two-year USADA suspension for Felipe. And I was really down on him after that. And then he's able to kind of pick himself back up. And you look at it, since he loses Spivak, he beats Jorgen Castro by decision, but he kind of complained when it got back up against the cage. He didn't like that. He just wanted to strike. He wins a split decision over Justin Taffa. He wins another split over Jake Collier. And you probably don't like to see him have that close of a fight against some lower-level heavyweights when you're taking on a guy who really likes to pick off lower-level heavyweights and prospects in this gatekeeper that is 40-what? Two-year-old Andre Orlovsky. It's kind of crazy to think about this, Matt. I'm really excited to get your thoughts on this one because you seem to have a keen eye on both of these guys, especially where they're at in their respective careers. Remember when Giga Chikadze had a split decision win over Brandon Davis and then he had a split decision win over Jamal Emmers and then he went on a crazy run and now we all know who Giga Chikadze is and he's really, really good? Now, let me... There's two separate universes. There's a universe where Carlos Felipe goes out there, knocks out Andre Orlovsky, and goes on one of those Giga Chikadze-esque type of runs. There's another world where... All of those questions and concerns that we do have about Carlos Felipe just keep on getting brought up in performances over and over and over again. And those holes are never fixed because I, I would say the best version of Carlos Felipe is a really exciting fighter in the heavyweight division. He does have good boxing for the division. He's got good cardio for the size of him. He's sort of in that like Javi Ayala, Derek Lewis category where he moves a lot better than his size would suggest. You look at him and he does have a bit of a brooding forward type of a style, but I would still say he's much more athletically fit than his size would suggest but this is one of those classic can you knock out Andre Arlovsky or can you not knock out Andre Arlovsky type of a fights and we've seen Arlovsky have like seven different stages to his career like Ray Allen had seven stages to his career he went from being a superstar to more of a role player to more of a bench piece Andre Arlovsky went from like superstar to all-star just sort of a ranked fighter to litmus test for uh, you know prospects to just sort of unranked fighter and then he built himself up to being the litmus test again and then now we're sort of in this weird zone where we don't really know what Andre Olaski is is he in the Jim Miller category of you know it's probably time's up or can he keep on going out there and out voluming other guys in the heavyweight division because the thing that makes Arlovsky so unique in this stage of his career is that he's not a heavyweight who relies on power nine out of ten heavyweights have to rely on their big punching power but Arlovsky even at 42 can go out there pitter patter and just sort of l-step his way two unanimous decision victories this fight will be very interesting, though, because if he does get into any exchange with Carlos Felipe, I think Felipe can knock him out. And I know we haven't seen Arlovsky go down recently like we did throughout the majority of his career. Remember, this is a guy who has 11 losses via TKO-KO. Like, when you look at Andre Arlovsky's losses on a topology page, it looks like most fighters' actual records. There's just so many fights on there. I just worry about Arlovsky at this stage. I don't think he has the same movement that he once did throughout his career, even in that later stage. And I could see him getting caught by a big shot by Felipe. Carlos Felipe hasn't knocked anybody out in the UFC, and he's shown right. really technical boxing, but... 
again, I said it right from the start. He just kind of goofs around. It's like, yeah, I'm going to win this fight. So, okay, we want to exchange in the pocket. We're going to we're gonna do like a real boxing fight. We're going to put our heads together. We're going to just throw some nice shots. One, two, pop, pop, Farley Pay. Is he going to go to the body? Is he going to go to the head? What's he going to do? Because you know he's not going to throw a kick. But when I look at this one, yeah, it really is a tricky one to try and get a read on. For Arlovsky, in the five on in, that's where it's really interesting. He has a loss to Jarzino, Rosenstrike, almost two years ago by knockout. He beats Felipe Linz, he beats Tanner Bozer, he loses to Tom Aspinall, but that was going to happen. That's seven months ago. And then five months ago, he beat Chase Sherman, who tried to box, didn't really kick, and then just kind of started to fall off a cliff as the fight went on, and he got really tired. So we'll see what happens in this one. I look at the odds for this. Arlovsky opened the favorite, minus 160. The odds are at par, minus 110. Felipe opened the underdog, plus 140. Odds are at par. The votes over on Topology, we haven't seen them. Bit of a surprise here. 823 total votes, 67% Arlovsky, 88% have to win by decision. The 33% that have Felipe, 58% by decision. There's 33% that have him to win by knockout. The rest have him by submission, which is incredibly unlikely in this fight. Carlos Felipe coming out of life. Artes Marcius MMA. You have Andre Arlovsky at one of the biggest gyms in the world, American Top Team, where he spent a lot of time recently training with some great heavyweights. I look at this fight. It's it's very much a flip of a coin where those odds are at right now. For Felipe, as such a young guy that's dedicated to continue to win, I do worry about that fight style when he goes out there and just kind of goofs around. Because you can't beat Arlovsky goofing around. Especially, even at 42, you can't beat him that way. It really is tough. You got to go out there looking mean, looking green like the Hulk, and you, you got to go out there and try and finish this guy. I think you will finish him, to be completely honest. I know you brought up the Felipe does 70 knockout wins in the UFC yet, and you are correct. But the difference between Arlovsky and all the other guys that Felipe's fought is that Arlovsky's much more brittle at this stage of his career than any of those other guys. Like, he hit Jake Collier with some bombs. And to Jake's credit, he stayed standing. And I know that's a former middleweight moving up, but still, he landed some really clean shots in that fight, and those were shots that I just don't think Arlovsky can absorb. But this is the thing about Arlovsky. He was able to use his movement and that sort of pitter-patter point-fighting style, to his credit, uh, really late into his career. But I feel like the last fight against Chase Sherman, yes, the hands are still on point. He can still out-volume guys and out-point guys with his hands. But I think the legs are starting to slow down. It's kind of like Matt, Manny Pacquiao when he fought Ugas in his last fight. His hands were still really good, but his feet just weren't the same like Hall of Fame level that we still remember. They were starting to slow down, and I feel the same way with Arlovsky. I think he's going to be able to get from point A to point B, maybe a little bit faster than Carlos Felipe. Maybe he will start to land a little bit early on, but I do think the pressure of Felipe will eventually get to Arlovsky. If this was 37-year-old Arlovsky, maybe if this was even 39-year-old Arlovsky, he'd be able to win a decision, but I just think the forward pressure of Felipe and the fact that Felipe is one of the few heavyweights that I think can at least match the pace of Arlovsky, I do like Carlos Felipe in this matchup. I felt the same way with 41-year-old Arlovsky when he fought Tanner Bozer. The Bozer was in and out and in and out, more so out, but Felipe does typically move forward a lot more so for me i'm going with felipe ever so slightly in this one let us know down below in the comment section who you have we're in agreement on this one we got the brazilian carlos felipe in a big fight in the main event that shouldn't happen aspen lads taking on norma dumont let's get up for it keep locked in with fighting apex as we always say let's get into it Big time fight coming up at 145 pounds. Yes, you heard that right. This one is a main event that's actually going to happen. It's five rounds and Norma Dumont is going to be the fresher fighter coming into this one. We have the immortal Norma Dumont taking on Aspen Ladd. And Matt, for this fight, it's kind of weird that it got thrown together. I mean, Norma Dumont's a fighter that at 135, well, let's even back it up. 
She makes her debut in the UFC. Fresh face. Less than 10 pro fights. She fights Megan Anderson, eats a right cross, gets knocked out. All right, so then we move her back down to 135. She fights Jessica Rose Clark. She weighs in 139.5 for a fight at 135. She wins that fight. She's supposed to take on Aaron Blanchfield, a short notice replacement. She weighs in 139.5 for that fight. So they don't make that fight. So for Norma Dumont, you look at it, it's been a weird run. She beats Felicia Spencer by split decision her last time out there. And she's originally supposed to take on Holly Holm in this main event at 145. Now, weighing in for her last fight against Felicia Spencer, 146. Everything's good. For Aspen Ladd, she was supposed to take on Macy Chasson just a couple of weeks ago. Weighed out at 137. The fight didn't happen. You know, Aspen Ladd had so many different issues with the weight. And she had issues at 125, let alone 135. So I'm particularly surprised that we ended up with this fight. But who else are you going to take? I don't know. It's just that the UFC has too many cards. This one is one of those cards that, you know, probably going to get lost in the ether after. This is a pick that's going to go on our records. And life goes on, as they say, Matt. So we have this fight between Norma Dumont and Aspen Ladd. Bit of a clash of styles here. I mean, Norma Dumont, known as a striker. And for Aspen Ladd, she can wrestle and wrestle and wrestle and just wear on fighters, and look at her now. I mean, 9-1, and one, the only loss to a great striker in Jermaine Durandamy that she didn't think should have been a, you know, a loss that quickly, but it was one that happened nonetheless. What are we saying about this one here? Uh, you're not gonna like this, but I don't think this is the worst fight ever. I really don't. I think there's a world out there where this could be an entertaining fight, just because their styles do contrast so much, and in Aspen Ladd, she is a similar fighter to Felicia Spencer, but I honestly think there's an added level of danger when you're fighting someone like Aspen Ladd, because with Spencer, yes, she's a great grappler, she's gonna wear on you, she's got great submissions, she doesn't really have the ground and pound though to really soften her opponent up to then go for the submission afterwards, whereas with Aspen Ladd, she's on the short list of best ground and pound fighters in the UFC, I'd say. I know Khabib, he's retired. Volkanovski's got to get a mention, but Aspen Ladd is there somewhere on the list. If you look at her win over Yana Kunitskaya, even look at her win over Tanya Evinger, who is tougher than a $2 stake, but still, Aspen Ladd held her down, and there was just nothing they could really do from that top position. Aspen Ladd's really best skill reminds me a lot of Luke Rockhold. She just has that really heavy top position, and when she does decide to let her ground and pound go, she's not just Serena Williams, ha-ha, and it's the noise. Like, there's real force behind the ground and pound of Aspen Ladd, and she's one of those fighters who does make fighters pay when she's on top. When she gets in that top position, starts using her hooks, she really does soften up her opponent, and I remember I used to say Brennan Allen was the example. I know he's more of a striker now, if anything, but still, there's some fighters out there who, they just get busy once they hit the mat, and Aspen Ladd is one of those fighters. Now, with all this being said, Remember when John McDessie fought Ignacio Bahamondes? And I know Ignacio, he had a great performance this last time out, but I was very, very concerned about the ACL of John McDessie. But I remember after Question Mark Kicks saying, you know what's a lot worse than tearing your ACL? Missing weight so much that, like, you were on death's door the day before an actual fistfight. Aspen Ladd was that kind of drained only a week ago, and that's something that you do have to be concerned about. Like Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland's fighting uh, Kyle Dawkins in what? It's only a couple of weeks now. I'm concerned about Kevin Holland with such a quick turnaround after being dropped so bad by Cats a... Cats out of the bag. I've got Kyle Dawkins to but, win that fight. But there, you can understand why there's a lot of question marks surrounding that fight because of the damage Kevin Holland took. Now, I understand it's not Kyle Dawkins' fault. Like, their heads hit. He was just doing what he was supposed to. I'm worried about Aspen Ladd in a very similar way. Listen, I think she's going to make weight. I'm not concerned about that. But that has an effect on your body. And I'm sure Aspen Ladd hasn't been in the tra gym training 100% for the last two weeks like 
uh, Norma Dumont has been in preparation for someone like Holly Holm. You can call her Aspen. You can call her Lad. You don't have to call her Aspen Lad every time. But for Aspen Lad, she's going to take on Norma Dumont. And Aspen Lad in this fight, I'm just kidding. I think she has a great opportunity in this one. If it was a full training camp, if the weight issues weren't issues, and if we didn't hear about any of that. Man, Norma Dumont's bad. Like, and in a good way. She is, she is, as, as Joe Rogan once said about, who was it, Claudia Gadelia? Cynthia that, Calvillo. <laughs> she's nasty. When Norma Dumont has the fight on the feet, you got to watch out for her. And the Immortals a wicked nickname, but man... Dumont is a tricky, tricky fighter when this is standing. And I think at 145, it's going to pay huge dividends. You're going to see two fighters that do not look like they're the same size. And the crazy thing about this one is height and reach and all that considered, they're fairly close, really. And I mean, you might see Ladd have a couple of advantages here and there. She's a little bit shorter. The reach, a little bit less. But I'm eager to see these two face off. But for me, when I look at this one, Dumont opened uh at a plus 140 she's a plus 124 right now lad open a minus 160 she's minus 150 over on topology those pesky votes 682 of them 72 percent lad 59 percent by knockout matt when we have a look i'm gonna bring it up this is unplanned but the fight night picks fans you guys want this i threw it out there in the community tab over on the youtubes and that's where people like to have a lot of tricky fun and when i threw it out there matt uh what is it 61% have Lad, 39% have Dumont. Out of the comments section, top comments, we have Lad has a similar style to Dumont, and Dumont has been the one training five rounds. Dumont 49-46. Don't panic RS just when you thought the last card was worst card of the year. Kiko CR saying, I don't know, guys, there's some real bangers on this card if you look past the abysmal main event and so on and so forth. But a lot of people have Lad in this fight. So where are you going with here? It's, uh, this fight's going to be one-way traffic. Again, it's either Aspen Lad gets that first takedown, absolutely dominates Dumont on the mat, and we look really stupid, and Aspen Lad's fighting Amanda Nunes. You can call her something else. This is the thing about Dumont, though. I think she's the far better striker at range, and I really think she's going to make Aspen Lad pay when she is on the outside. Because the thing with Lad is, even look at the Eubanks fight that she had. When Sujara was able to get on the inside, use her clinch, and just force her to strike, she was having a ton of success on the feet against Ladd, and I do think that Dumont can replicate a very similar game plan. I just think it's going to come down to her takedown defense more than anything. And the fact that Ladd was getting ready for a 15-minute fight and not a 25-minute fight does concern me quite a bit. In no other sport is it, hey, your opponent got switched, and now you're playing an 18-inning baseball game and not just a 9-inning one. Like, it's a really big deal that they're adding another 10 minutes minutes onto the fight and that's why i'm concerned about lad's cardio unless she goes out there gets a very easy takedown in the first round and the second round doesn't have to exert herself a lot in the wrestling and then is just able to completely wear on uh dumont I, I really like Dumont as the underdog. I do. I've had a few underdogs in this card. Yeah, I'm going with Dumont in this spot as well. I think the striking is going to play out. But when you're going from playing at Dodger Stadium at noon and it's supposed to be a nine inning game, now it's 18 innings at Coors Field and we're playing at midnight. Like it's totally different. I like that particular set of skills to fall with Dumont, who's already getting ready for the fight. If you think we're crazy, you let us know down below in the comments section. What did you like this week? What didn't you like? You let us know that too. We have an 11 fight set coming up this weekend. Make sure you check out Fight Name Picks question mark kicks two hours before the prelims when they go live here. If you haven't subscribed, you should because at 30,000, we're going to hit that mark and start pumping out those Dana White's Contender Series previews and predictions. If you like the video, toss us a like. We would really appreciate it and we hope you enjoy the fights coming up this weekend because after this, 
It's just a slew of great fights. 267, 268, Rodriguez Holloway. Like, there's so much to get excited about. Keep it locked in with Fight Night Picks. We always say, let's, let's get, get into it. it. 